Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's being called the trial of the century in Italy. American college student Amanda Knox stands accused of killing her roommate in a bizarre sex game gone wrong. She's a victim of a justice system, a town, and an Italian media that was stacked against her. Regardless of the verdict, Knox's life will never be the same. Hey guys, we are back today with Amanda Knox, murder on trial in Italy. My guest today is Brian Beckner. He is the co-host of the Baller Lifestyle Podcast, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Molly. Yeah, no problem. I um we met because I guess your sister came to a Hello Giggles show years ago and I was talking about this guy Carl from Rosemead yeah. who <laughs> is a caller on the Jim Rome podcast right. and she to, like mentioned that to you that I was talking about Carl from Rosemead and we've been following each other on the internet for a very long time and I recently did your sports podcast which i assume typically is hosted by other people with you so it's me i'm a, i'm the host and i have a co-host but when i had you on i just uh you know we do we do one show uh per week just a regular show and then we do an additional show every week for our subscribers and then when i interviewed you that was just kind of like an extra show so i just thought it would be fun to just kind of flex my interviewing muscles and just talk to you one-on-one but yes typically i um co-host with a gentleman a writer from new jersey called ed daily and uh yeah we just we talk we bullshit it's um very people are like oh you do a sports talk show i don't follow sports there's no one on the planet that follows sports less than me there's no, I don't, I, I, really? I'm so quasi aware of what's happening in sports. It's almost, I find it very daunting to be up on what's happening in the world of sports, but also as a cis white male, I feel like I have a duty to, to know what's happening in the world of sports. So it's, sure. not, um, you don't need to know about sports to listen to my show because you probably already know about more about sports than I do. Right, right. I I'm a fan of like the soap opera of sports, um, sure. which, you know, I have to say, I kept thinking about when I was watching this movie, because Italy, you know, this is their OJ. Amanda Knox is like a big moment for them. Totally. Um, it's kind of our OJ, too. I mean, I remember being like so <laughs> enraged about this and i get like this like with the west memphis three and anything that's like so someone is so obviously being railroaded and there's no one there's no one like above the person that makes the decision there's there's some jackass that makes a decision in this case the prosecutor who was like also the cop somehow i don't know yeah. really, they're not yeah, very would, over there in italy i will say that like yeah. this felt 20 years behind OJ, even though it was 20 years after OJ. And like, by the way, they don't need what we have over here. Like there's like, you know, feel free to reach out to me or, you know, don't reach out to me with like Italian court history. I don't really know it all. But like going through this whole case as a 
I guess, a fan of the case. I don't know what we call it um, when it's, a you know, an active spectator of the case. Um, there you go. And then rewatching this movie today, I was like, this is some real... I mean, when they thought that the DNA on the knife like was for sure murderous DNA and it turned out to be a piece of rye bread that really like took me to another place. And then you look back at like where we were in our country trying to do OJ 20 years ago, we're still in such a place of unrest about it. I feel like even though everyone kind of knows OJ did it, which is something else I want to get to because OJ, OJ, OJ was smart enough to do his, murdering before there was csi so they're like hey um his blood's in the car and his blood's at the crime scene and his dna's everywhere and and then they got barry sheck to come in and go oh you can't trust that you can't yeah you can't a cop could have put it there meanwhile everybody's watching everybody and it, it, it was just right before everybody was watching 48 hours every Friday night and everybody right. was really like their own, own forensic, doing their own forensic analysis all the time. Like now, unless you do it in a very small town, it's impossible to murder somebody and get away with it. It's impossible. It can't be done because they're just too good at finding out who did it. But OJ, he was smart enough to do his murdering in 1994 when they didn't they didn't know no one knew um amanda knox or he was she there was no evidence against her other than she lived in the same house like there's no there was no reason to think that she did the thing that she was accused of except that she was she was roommates with the girl yeah and she was kind of weird yeah that that was weird and also slutty and if she like, liked the you know, fuck, she liked the fuck, and that is and, slutty, and that sells well in a Roman yes. Catholic society. They're like, it's oh, insane. that whore, which is like crazy because, like, Italy, yeah. it's like you know, known for its romance, it's known for its like amorous nature, and then sure. This girl comes to town, has sex with one dude consistently, <laughs> and then yeah. I don't know, like she's nailed for being this international slut because of an you know an eight year old soccer name. And they even they even show it sort of in the movie when the when the cop prosecutor guy is like, "Hey, um, you know, it's it's okay. Just make a list of everyone you've ever banged," and you know. He was just so excited and titillated and turned on to get this girl to to force this girl. It's almost like a kind of rape to force this girl to relive her sexual history just for for no reason other than his benefit, just to titillate him. It was just to excite him. And and we that's what it was for. And then you we live in this world where there's so much where women are supposed to or are forced to have this kind of shame that about liking sex or having had sex and here she is she's Hayden Panny Panettiere however you pronounce it yeah, is killing it but it's like she you know she's like she's like squirming in her seat as if as if that could ever happen to a guy first of all a guy would be like oh too many to list you know there was that one chick and it was like it wouldn't be any big deal at all but there's th- there's this sort of misogynistic thing to it that i found kind of disgusting and kind of like archaic now i feel i feel like we're we're post slut shaming you're forgetting an important element of that scene which is that they told her that she had hiv 
They coerced her. They were basically trying to say, like, but how slutty are you? Like, can we prove that you're in a satanic sex situation? Because that's what. And I'm like, why don't you go to the people down in San Diego and polyamory married and dating? Because I feel like there's a killer or two in that house. Like, if you want to really connect. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, who do you think? I think Michael. Michael's definitely a murder, but he and Kamala Devi, they do their murders together. They, you know what? They probably, they probably go out and kill and then they come back and they have, and they have sex in the blood of their victims separately. But then, they, think- then they do, they do special occasion murders where they're like, it's, you know, let's do one. It's our anniversary. Let's just go out and let's do, let's go to the park and find a drifter and just murder him tonight. Just, just, you know, for old time's sake. I would say that Michael is like the Ghislaine Maxwell, though, in that relationship. Yeah. Like, I yes, feel totally. that he yes. brings the bodies to Kamala. Like, that is yes. 100% his role. And, like, he's happy to take whatever he gets left over. Like, he's very yes. subservient in that way. But, like, yeah, they definitely are. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Showtime show, Polyamory, Married and Dating. And if you don't know what we're talking about, welcome to my universe, you guys. They just recapped both of the seasons of that show on our Patreon, patreon.com slash solid listen. Um, but yo, like, you know what I was thinking this whole thing, this whole movie Tell is me. I hate that these lifetime movies, they have them come out before the crime, before the story's wrapped up. They just did it with college admission scandal. They did this with the man knock. They did it with Michelle Carter, the girl, um, who like texted her boyfriend to kill himself. Bella Thorne played her, um, oh my god have you done that one already no i haven't done it yet well we, mm. we can do that totally if you want but yeah but like here's the thing like i actually truly think that that is such an unfair way to make a movie and not representative of what i think people think of when they think of lifetime people think of death of a cheerleader with tori spelling they think of like killer among friends they think of like these big movie of the week movies as the most classic lifetime movies why rush it why do the tabloid version um, why do like the paperback waterlogged book what- of jean benet because they want to do the whole like ripped from the headlines thing where they're like, they want to be first. They feel like maybe the Hallmark channel, although like it seems to me that Lifetime has this thing, has kind of a lock on these whole ripped from the headline murder movies. Yeah. Hallmark's too like, yeah. it's too fluffy. It's Mormon. Yeah. I prefer these movies to be just at least wait for the court case to be over and this movie was upsetting for amanda knox's family because this came out before her appeal as we'll see at the end yeah i would be stoked if i was amanda knox's mom because she got played by an oscar winner marcia gay harden and that's like i mean if you're gonna pick who's gonna play you like i i haven't really thought about it but have to be like kind of like a chubby short like middle-aged dude with curly hair i don't know like Polly shore maybe he's a little he's quite a bit older than me but uh you know someone like that uh like if you're mo- if you're amanda knox's mom you get played by an oscar winner that's pretty good and also Marsha gay harden i felt like was kind of um she was kind of having a slum it a little bit or not not slum it. it's kind of like it's kind of like sparring when like a a, a, a 
the heavyweight champion gets in with the guys that like get him ready to fight. They're, they're not as good as him. They're not, they're just not as, as good a fighter. So he has to kind of take it easy on him. I felt like that's what Marsha Gay Harden was doing in this movie. Like she could have really chewed up all the scenery if she wanted to, because she's amazing, but she kind of played it low key. Um, you know, I, I get that they weren't happy about the story being told, but if, if they're going to tell your story without your permission, g- give me an Oscar winner to do it. Right. Well, like, okay, first of all, yes, because it's interesting how she both has to take it easy and do the heavy lifting. But more than that, I was going to say, like, when they give it a little breathing time, they can really give the case like it's due and have some fun with it. And I was thinking of like, I was like, Molly, if you were to take the Amanda Knox story and really spice it up and make this movie crazy, what would you do to save Amanda? And I was like, I would call in my cousin Vinny because he's like the Brooklyn Italian version. And like the meeting of the two together would be so fun. And also, this is a perfect case for my cousin Vinny because like it's rye bread on the knife. There's no DNA. There's like a bra strap. Like she's young. She's a floozy. There's an underwear purchase. There's a lot of room for hijinks in this movie. And I feel like that was like something that you. You could have done if you gave it breathing room and I was thinking like for Gen Z if they wanted to reboot this story sort of or reimagine this story in the way of like Quentin Tarantino with Once Upon a Time once everyone in this story is dead they could have the chance yeah. to do that yeah I, well yes okay one that's a genius idea that is such a good idea I've because the story, if you if you take the heaviness of being wrongfully accused of murder of out of the, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah if you yeah right if you, if you take the weight the actual weight of the story out of it and uh, it's a perfect like my cousin Vidi is the is the actually the perfect metaphor and the perfect way to tell the story um, but it's it's I feel like always going to be too soon <laughs> until until all these people are gone because there was you know a, a beautiful young girl was brutally murdered and uh, and somebody was wrongfully accused of it and it's so it's trauma all the way around it's kind of hard to tell a true story that way but i'm 100 percent here for it i would love to see that I mean, didn't Tarantino just have a baby? I feel like that baby could grow up. Yeah, I think he and his like 19-year-old wife just had a baby. So I feel like that baby could... I so sorry for her. I mean, I don't. I feel like if you grew up in a fast and crazy enough crowd, like you could probably hang with Quentin Tarantino for like 15 years before... Yeah, but but Quentin Tarantino really looks like that guy Jaws from the um, James Bond movies. I'm just... I'm not like talking... I'm just talking about like have... I would be really bummed to have Quentin Tarantino on top of me. That's all I'm saying. That's that's as much as I'll say. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's a real catch-22. Trust me, I've thought about it because... You know, I think we all think about these things, right? And like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it would be a tough thing to get around, but he is a genius. So if he was like a sparkling person in real life, then like I could see, like, I could see myself being captivated by Quentin Tarantino. I would never be like, oh my God, that's my guy when I walked into a room. 
Yeah. Yes. But he, yes. So I, yeah, I shouldn't say that because you're right. He's, he's very passionate. He's, he's an auteur. He's, a, he's a genius. I, I love all of his work or most of his work. Um, so I didn't, I, I'm repulsed by his vis- visage, but I don't have to be married to him. Yeah. And when I listen to him on Stern, though, I agree. Like, I'm like, that would be, that sounds like doing cocaine with someone all night. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yes, um, no, I get it. Okay, so let's get into the movie. So we open up on this little news compilation. They use like real news clips. We get Larry King, who it's not a real movie where something happened if Larry King isn't there. I agree with that. Like that old whore is everywhere. And then, you know, we get some Meredith Vieira, little Anderson Cooper. So this is all real news, by the way, because I always assume Larry King just does every movie. Like whenever (laughs) there's a Larry King clip in a movie, I believe he sat down in the studio and recorded that for the movie. Um, Yeah. So then we see basically um, the day of Meredith Kircher, who, by the way, this movie is really about her. And I feel like this whole case is so warped because it's all about Amanda when really the people who need to heal are never going to get their healing because America can't and the world can't stop talking about Amanda Knox. Totally. Yes. I. So I while I was watching this movie, uh, by the way, this is the first lifetime movie I've ever seen in my life. And I, really? I, I loved it. Yeah. It was so good. Um, I'm I'll probably like, I will, if you ever invite me back on to do another one, I'll definitely watch another one, but I'm like kind of interested because I had to subscribe to the lifetime movie club and I'm kind of like just perusing the titles. Like you just talked about the, um, the college, admission scandal i'm like oh, yeah. i kind of i kind of want to know about that uh but i did look at this and i was the, so the um the actress that played meredith kirchner was very pretty and i was like wow she's really pretty um i wonder if the real meredith kirchner was also very pretty and she she was very pretty but i saw also that her dad recently died or he has since died and that's a bummer yeah. I mean, that's this this whole case is very um it's it's really heartbreaking, especially I feel very. like that element because there's so many people yeah. that still push for Amanda Knox to be guilty. And I right. think it's because Meredith has never gotten her day in the sun and if she had had that, they people would feel more at peace with the fact that the guy who murdered her is in jail and yeah. he's and he was in jail He's set to get he was in jail. Pre- oh, he is. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't. They got a different system of justice over there. Yeah, like they've they knocked down his sentence really quickly. But you can also do. They're big on the double jeps. They do right. double jeopardy there. They'll retry. That's what happened to her, right? They they um. Yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. Like she, she appealed and they convicted her again. I guess. And then they like were like, okay, yeah, we'll start the whole trial over again. Which, I mean, can you imagine our country if that existed? No, it's insane. It's insane. Bonkers. Sliding doors moment. So we find out that like basically the morning of Meredith's body being found, Amanda and her boyfriend were hanging out outside. And then this like special police unit they have for credit cards, computers, and cell phones pulls up to their place. Which, by the way, I love that is police reform where they're like, oh, we don't handle the murder, sweetie. Like, you called the computer people. Like, we don't know. So, um, 
basically Amanda and her boyfriend were like, yeah, the door was open when we got home and there was blood on the bathroom floor, but like, it looked like a minimal amount, like, like maybe someone cut themselves when they were shaving. Um, but we're scared to go back inside. Will you come back inside with us? So then the police go in with them and sure enough, they discover Meredith's body. Um, so yeah, um, at this point it's 6 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, she's locked in her bedroom. Oh, you guys, by the way, I might not do the best detailing on this case. I know that sometimes you guys are like, why aren't you like talking about the crime enough? Like, this is this is a Lifetime movie podcast. I also care deeply about the true crime element, and I will have a lot of, of that knowledge for you. But for the most part, we're just kind of talking about like the movie. So if I miss something, please don't be mad. Um but yeah, and so- I don't want to I don't want to be I don't want to be like the um like the tourist in New York that's just looking up at the buildings the whole time. But having never seen a Lifetime movie, when it started playing, I was like, oh, this is cool. They sent a couple guys with a drone to Italy to get some exteriors. That's cool. And then I assume the whole movie's going to be in the most italian looking part of shot in the most italian looking part of vancouver but no <laughs> no they, they went shot, to italy. They shot the whole thing in italy like they, there's some money in this like they, they really there's some budge. yeah yeah i mean well so like this is what lifetime does it is a diet movie like they definitely have their sort of mainstays that they do where they'll have like one or two big movies this like a, a season a calendar year that they'll sink all of their money into and, and like it, notably, absolutely, they went to Italy for this movie. There's not like, I mean, if there's local hires, they're Italian. It's not some Vancouver shit where it's like someone's mom who stopped by the set is playing the lady at the coffee shop today. And and Marsha Gay Harden doesn't cross the street for under a half a million bucks, right? Like you're not you're not getting you know, her for three weeks in in Rome. MGH actually does like a Lifetime movie. This is maybe my second or third that she's oh, been in. Wow. Fascinating. She enjoys a Lifetime. And you know what I will say? I feel like they are for a real actor. As much as like Hollywood would probably disagree with me, I think real actors do Lifetime movies. Like I think that they're willing to play in the mud a little bit because they enjoy their craft and like why not get the paycheck to like go do a different type of movie? I think that you can get some big names in the mix. Diane Keaton's done a Lifetime movie. What? Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. This is all all new to me. Definitely is like a resting place. Like it's definitely a place to take a nap. If you're an actress who's like between moves in your life, like this is a great place for someone who's like graduated from Disney to take a nap before they become someone who's ready to do like their 90210, you know? So I feel it, it it's a lifetime will have some things that surprise you. Um, but anyway, so they spent a decent amount of money. You're right to go to Perugia to film all this. It's yeah. all done pretty much on location. I wonder a lot of it is though, in sort of just like what could be a back lot. Um, especially and, and it's the apartment, staff. right? The apartment they found, if you've seen the Amanda Knox documentary, I'm like, did they shoot this in her exact apartment? Because it looks just like it. Like they really did the the work to make this look really authentic. I was impressed. Yeah. So um, Amanda, at this point, they find they're finding the body and it's 6 a.m. in Seattle. So she calls her parents because like, you know, 
she's a 20, she's like 21. That's what you have to remember about this girl is like when I was 21 years old, if I had stumbled into this, I would have been too guilt ridden to even admit to the cops that like I had been smoking weed with my boyfriend, let alone I would have, I would have wound up in so many lies just to avoid telling them that I was smoking weed because I mean, she is a Seattle girl. So maybe her attitude's a little bit different, but I would have been terrified to say I was in a foreign country smoking weed a hundred percent i thought that same thing when she was like when she had to admit that she smoked a joint i'm like don't do it girl like what are the laws there you don't know it's like how come you don't have a lawyer like how does it work dude when i okay well i'll tell you more later i guess we'll get to that later because there is a decent segue later on but anyway um she calls her parents and she's basically like yeah my um there's a crime scene at my house um and she says that they see they're seeing Meredith's body in there and her she says like I see a foot mom and then she hangs up and her mom's like yeah Amanda's in the middle of a police investigation so then she and Raphael uh Raffaele go outside is it Raphael I think it's I think it's Raffaele Raffaele yeah. yeah okay I feel so bad for this guy by the way um yeah he didn't as much as Amanda Knox's mom got Marsha Gay Harden. Um, this Raffaele Sol- Solero, I don't even, Soliero, um, he got done dirty by whoever, the, by the actor they got to play him. Because I looked him up and he kind of looks like um, Mitch Hedberg with the trust fund. Like he's, he's like a little guy. He's got the glasses. He's got the kind of like shaggy hair. Like he's, he's a put together looking kid. And the guy they got to play him, first of all, he's wearing a wig the whole time. I don't know if he's, he'd just come off something else and his hair was too short and they just had to get this guy, but he's wearing a wig, which is off putting. And then they kind of do that thing. I recently for my podcast, I watched the movie outbreak because we're living through a pandemic and in that movie they to to let you know that somebody had caught the thing they just put like a lot of red eyeshadow on their eyes well, okay. this, this raffaelli guy the actor has this like they kind of want to make him look like drugged out or super stoned all the time so throughout the movie he's got like these this red these like red blotchy eyes that would kind of bum me out if I were the real guy because I just looked at a picture of him and he looked pretty normal to me yeah you're right they're trying to show that he's like an unreliable stoner and you know what I didn't even think about his x factor and she says it and I never even put all this together is that like he's not just like an Italian guy that's nice to her and has weed and is cool he's rich like that is another element Yeah, she's like, you know, she does mention to Meredith later on, like, oh, his apartment's pretty nice, by the way. I think his dad is wealthy. And I think that that was probably very alluring for her as well. Because, like, women can't help it. Like, at the end of the day, well, people can't help it. At the end of the day, like, if you have a romantic prospect and one of them is loaded, like, that that does make them slightly more attractive. And if you say that's not the case, you're a fucking liar. Like, it absolutely uh, helps. We're all some of are everything right like there's if somebody seems successful or has access to things like that's that can be very alluring much more so than than you know when when i was raffaelli solieros (laughs) i feel like i should look it up um because i had i you know i had none of that going for me i wish i would have 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, especially at that age, you know, you're 21, you're in a different country. Like the fact that he has weed money is hot to her. Like he just has like a decent apartment and he has weed money. And that is like a big, that's a big upsell for her. So I I was, I was confused. He, so she, She's like, where are you from? And he says the town. And she's like, oh, on the Adriatic. Like, she knew right where it was. And then she, like, quizzes him on where Seattle was. And he's like, "Uh, it's in Washington State. Like, he couldn't really nail that it was on the Pacific Ocean. But then he's like, um, he's like, Microsoft is there. And that's okay. That's all you need to know. Like, or you could come up with Costco or like, that's good. Like, he's done enough. And then she's like, most people say Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, first of all. I've never seen an episode of Grey's Anatomy, but I know that this murder occurred in 2007. And so I looked up Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy debuted in 2005. So was Grey's Anatomy such a juggernaut that by 2007, the show's been on two, maybe two and a half seasons. Everybody already associates the city of Seattle with the hospital TV show Grey's Anatomy. Is that, am I, am I just I out of the loop that on that? I doubt that Grey's has gone overseas at that point. Like you think two seasons in, they're dubbing it in Italian. No, No, I think that that was honestly, I think that that's how well we didn't know Amanda Knox because her ass is like at the Renaissance fair with her fucking, you know, husband who like, they live like this weird, like elfin life. Like they're very, you know, if you've seen them, they're in a superheroes, they're into that whole mystical. Didn't they have a theme wedding? I don't recall the theme, but there was some odd theme to their, wedding i believe it was probably like dungeons and dragons dude yeah. like i don't know like that she's just like she you know she liked raffaelli because he was in a harry potter and because he looked like harry potter yes so i would agree i would say gray's like she's not a gray's girl i'm assuming that they didn't have the rights to starbucks totally totally yeah that makes more sense too because on their first date they go they ride the carousel mm-hmm. and they're way too excited they're way more excited than any three-year-old you've ever seen on a, on a carousel but then if you put it if you couch it in the world of amanda knox and how she operates you could kind of see it you're like oh yeah she would be way too stoked to be on a carousel that makes what? a lot of sense oh my god no dude totally mm-hmm. like anything more than a carousel would be too much and the carousel's exact that's where she thrives is she's on a carousel like that's exactly you're exactly right that's where if i had to put her to live in eternity i would put her on like a beautiful carousel. Totally. Um, But yeah, so um, the press starts to show up at this point. So right away, they want us to know the press has a deep relationship with this case. And maybe it is for Perugia. This might be a hot thing. I'm sure like our murder rate is so different. I'm sure this was a big splash over there. It had to be, had to be. But how much press is there? Like how many newspapers are there in Perugia? Or I guess it's not far from some, some bigger places. They're called paparazzi for a reason, okay? (laughs) Like, they're Italian (laughs) in nature. That's their whole deal. Which, by the way, is shocking because, like, you would think a culture like that would be so over it. You would think they would be, like, celebrities, like, gauche. Like, weird. Why would you be out taking photos? Like, how embarrassing. Um, But anyway, um, so the press starts rolling up and Philomena, her roommate, and her boyfriend are out there. And they are strictly contrasted by Amanda and Raffaele, who are, like, basically making out outside of the house a little bit. Like, they're just, like, it's not making out. I would say that that's the press version. Yeah, canoodling. I would say that they were canoodling. 
every person's reaction to these things are very different. It's just that Amanda Knox's reaction was sensationally different. Like talk about wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Don't. So some, she's probably, she's a little off in just in terms of the way she views the world. She she might be low key um, personality disorder. Something's going on. Also, she, what it's, it's super horrible. And a- any normal person would be freaked out that anybody that lived, like if one of my neighbors got murdered, I would, I would, it would haunt my days. This was her roommate, but they hadn't been roommates very long. They weren't, well, they weren't close. Amanda didn't keep a very tidy bathroom. We learn, which can be very irritating if you have to live with someone. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, like, maybe Amanda was, like, so triggered by, like, oh, you know, Seattle, Microsoft, because, like, she is part computer. Like, I think that Amanda is, like, she was, like, (laughs) oh, like, you know where I'm from. Like, I think that she, you know, is a very logical person. I don't think she, as, as much as she's, like, dreamy, like, her idea of, like, really radical music is, like, the Beatles. Like, she seems very... Um, you know, just like sort of like logical. Like, I mean, yeah. she's someone who enjoys, you know, just from what we know of her art, she enjoys superheroes. She enjoy enjoys like, you know, fantastical shit. She enjoys like the Beatles. Like, when it comes to that, I think like that's a person who's like not a dreamer, like seeing yes. dreams for the first time. Yes. And I almost feel like she's a very logical person. And you know, again, like to your point, this is, you know, she doesn't know Meredith that well. What she no. does know is that, you know, Raffaele was hitting it the night before. The yeah. two of them are getting along really well. He's got that weed. He's got that weed money. Like they are, you know, that was where sort of her headspace was at. And I don't think that she is like meticulous or cold blooded or anything else. I just think that she doesn't live in that gray area the way that a lot of at least the people in my world do. So to see her is stunning, but I've had to really press myself because I don't think she's capable of what happened here. And I honestly, if if I'm going to be real with you, I think she's too logical to have an interest in murdering her friend. Oh, Oh, totally. And and you make a good point. She's riding that NRE new relationship energy and she's she's you can see it in her when she's interviewed she's singular focused she doesn't she compartmentalizes she doesn't have room for all these things together and she's that she's on this new italian dick she's out out in the world things are happening for her and that that's where her headspace is at and while the rest of us can't identify with it this that's what made her a uh, a suspect yeah i i I think yeah i feel like amanda's almost like a thing where like for most of us our five senses are in like they are essential for understanding the world. Whereas I feel like for Amanda, like her five senses come in as like a bonus where she's Uh, like, Oh, I love this, but, and I can smell it and I can touch it. Like, I don't think that she's like, Oh, I can touch this. I love it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yes. I think like things come in as a bonus for her in a weird way. I don't know if I had to describe I want you to I want you to advance the story because I, I think I keep putting us into the weeds, but I need to say one more thing before we move on because it was very triggering for me. Okay. Raffaele 
Solicito. I looked it up. He, he, it's either their first date or just when they're first, I think it is their first date. Well, there's two things we need to talk you about. You want to wait till we get to like yeah, that yeah. part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I want to kick it off with um, Amanda in Seattle and then going into her going like goodbye to Italy party. Um, we get to see her working in the little cafe that she did in real life work in. Not this one in the movie, but in real life, she did work at like a little bar and grill, like making coffee and pie and then um, her family. And this videotape is also sort of depicted in the Netflix version, if I'm correct. Okay. Um, can I get a decaf soy cappuccino and ice latte macchiato? A uh, decaf soy cappuccino and ice macchiato. Per favore. Dude, Foxy, I can't believe that you're ditching us this year. What is that team gonna do without you? We need Foxy Noxie. I'm sure you'll survive. We'll find a way. But what about DJ? I mean, is he gonna come and, you know, hang out with you in Perugia? Um, actually, we're taking a little bit of a break. He's gonna be in China for the year. I'm gonna be in Italy. It just doesn't make much sense to be tied down. I'm gonna be here forever serving cake. I hate you. You'll love me when I bring you back some Persian chocolate. Hey, make it some Italian men and we'll call it a deal. Deal. Italian men coming right up. Oh my god! <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you too. Hi, Dad. Hey, how's my world traveling? I'm good. How are you? Already missing you. I love you tons, tons and tons and tons. <laughs> okay, now, how do you feel about leaving Seattle? I love Seattle, and I love the University of Washington, but it would be really awesome to be somewhere totally new and different. Okay, Mom, your turn. Amanda, we're all so proud of you for all you had to accomplish to make this trip possible. We're gonna miss you. Oh <laughs> no! It won't be the same around here without you. It's only ten months. I'll oh, be well. back. Ten months is a long time. <laughs> you all set? Got your passport, euros, pepper spray? Yes, I'm all set. Is this a stepfather's guide to uh, Europe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you should write a book. Toast, everybody! Toast! Grab a glass. Here we go. Okay. One, honey. Travel safe and come back soon, honey. The caption just says speaking fluent Italian. <laughs> so um, I've, I'm, I'm, I was concerned about Hayden Panettiere's uh, grasp of the Italian accent. I mean, I don't, I don't imagine that they Rosetta stoned her too hard prior to this, but uh, it wasn't, you could tell they didn't give her much to say in Italian because uh, it, she didn't seem to have a, a real strong grasp of what Italian sounds like. I mean, if I had to like just pan it, panettiere, doesn't that seem like a romance language <laughs> yes. last name? Like I'm yeah. sure she grew up with people saying things in exaggerated tones to her her entire life, you know, like just the way 
that you do when you are like a white ethnic person. Like when you're like Irish, like there's people that just like broke out on you for no reason. Like I'm sure that like a lot of that was coming in there. Some like family function shit. But I will say that I, I love how, um, in Lifetime movies, it's always just such a clusterfuck and they have to establish, you know, how everyone knows each other. So it's like, oh, protective stepdad hours or like whatever the fuck she said. Um, And then like this sort of like chaotic conversation. It's just, um, you know, it's not at all the way that people show up in the world. And if I remember from the Netflix documentary that she did, um, there was like actual footage from that home videotape in the video. And it was so much more grounded specifically in that. Like, I feel like Amanda's sister was like, are you looking forward to meeting like Italian guys? And she was like, I don't know. Like it was very sexual what she said. And I was almost shocked in real life that Amanda was that plain spoken about sex with her own family. Like I remember, I remember them being in her house, but I didn't, I don't remember her, but they clearly set that up. Like with the, in the, in the lifetime movie, when she's at work, her friends, like, you know, they, they set it up. Like it, it was common parlance to, you know, that they were going to talk about going and getting laid. She is that girl at your work though. That's like going abroad soon. You know, like, can you imagine yeah, yeah. like working with that where it's like you're just getting spurts of Italian and you're like, I'm trying to work like I literally am just trying to bring something to this table. Like, I don't have time for like your little obnoxious player that would wear me down so bad if I was working a minimum wage job with like a girl that's about to go abroad and she was tossing in her Italian words like as I was about to try and serve a table that would drive me that would that would I think rub anyone raw. 100 percent. I agree with you. So then she goes to Perugia. Her sister comes out to visit her and her sister, Amanda's already gotten like sort of the lay of the land. Like she's like, here's where the weed dealers are. You know, in Italy, we drink. This is where you do that. I mean, Europe must be, I experienced Europe as a young child. And then like once, like I'd already sort of like lived my party life a little bit. So I never had those coming of age years in Europe, but she definitely is enjoying all of that. And she is looking for an apartment. She sees a girl hanging up an apartment, like sign on a, on a board. Can you imagine if we still had those? Do we still have those where people are like, I'm going to put this on a bulletin board. I need, I need a roommate. (laughs) Impossible. Like, yeah. (laughs) Like college campuses. Yeah. No, that's so crazy. That's so foreign. It's not imagine yeah, I mean, imagine being two girls alone in an empty apartment, ready to rent out the third room, and you post your information to a public like bulletin board that oh, is yeah is, is, is that more sketch out, like. is that more sketch than Craigslist like would you is I feel like I would Craigs I, yeah, I think they do. I feel like I would trust more tearing off one of those little uh, homemade phone number tabs where it's like room, you know, 300 bucks a month or 300 euro a month. I feel like I would feel more trusting doing that than responding to, than having to hide my email, do an anonymous email or or text via, via Craigslist. You're right. By the way, that's how I used to advertise like babysitting at the library. Like I'd be like, yeah, I'm a babysitter and like put my thing up with all my little tabs or whatever. And looking back, like that is so 90s. Like I would never allow my teenager to put their number out there like that. That's insane. (laughs) That is crazy. 
And I would have people call me and like, I would literally like some, some of these people I babysat for them through college. Like they were just like families that became mine, but like I could have absolutely been abducted like right now, 100%. I think about that all the time. Like all of the times I could have almost been sex trafficked or like almost been kidnapped. But I think honestly, in those situations, people feel bad for me. Like they're like, Oh, she's so clueless. We can't kidnap her. Like She's too dumb to be kidnapped. Yeah. We, we have to go for a harder target. (laughs) Right. I honestly have felt that way so many times where I like, I've definitely witnessed a crime. They're like, Oh, we're not going to like do anything to her. She's just like too dumb to like put it together. So, um, she decides like, okay, she's going to go check out the place. They decide that day we're going to move in. It's 300 euros for the room for the month. And then she meets this English girl that lives with them named Meredith and Meredith is like, you know, she's studying there. She's all excited. So she and Meredith, like now we cut forward a little bit to her, them all living together. And Amanda and Meredith go to see a orchestral musical concert. I don't know what you would call it. Um, It wasn't a symphony, but it was like an orchestral moment. Spring section. And so they go and sit out. Um, under the stars and there's this guy there who's like got his eye on the two of them and then Meredith leaves for the night and then he comes up and sits next to Meredith and like or Amanda and like I will say that like this is the type of person in life that catches you off guard where you're like disgusted that someone sat next to you and you're like whoever this guy is I do not want to talk to him but if he were to have the right line or catch you at the right vulnerable moment, you might go and hang out with them after. And that is exactly who this man is to her. And what I think of when I think about their relationship now and how they must think about each other, which is like, that was a in the right moment thing. And now this person and I are tied together for the rest of our lives. And I could not regret that more. Yeah. Well, I mean, he swung in there BDE style. Like you, yeah. you figure, Oh, here, here's this, here's this dude. Uh, here's this Italian dude that really is swinging it around. Like this guy must do a lot of work in town, but apparently, you know, we learn later that he was basically a virgin. He just, he was just drawn to her and he walked up and was like, Hey, I'm Raffaele. What's up? Yeah. Are they Pete and Ariana? <laughs> well, no, because Pete put that is, on the back burner. We'll okay, find the connection. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Think about it, because I feel like that will come back to us. Um, I just, I don't know. In my heart, he's um, he's not a Pete. I just can't. But maybe you'll convince me later. I'll hold on to it. Well, like you know, I don't know. Sometimes these connections aren't always so obvious. You have to give Lifetime more credit. I feel like Lifetime in this movie could have been predicting Pete and Ariana. Fascinating. Um, I feel like Scooter Braun's been watching. What's up, Scooter? So, um, so they get along great from the start. This is where we have our like, you know, Microsoft. Like, do you know Microsoft? Do you know Italy? Yeah. Moment. Great. Um, so we get a little montage of them enjoying the chocolate festival. They ride on the carousel. Um, he makes some little like risotto beans and rice thing it's back in his huge apartment. Is, okay, I have an issue there. I know. Ne- yeah. I need to jump in. He's he's Italian. He's making risotto and I happen to know, I don't know anything about risotto, although it's delicious and I will absolutely order it, but I do know enough. I've watched enough Anthony Bourdain to know 
that risotto is supposed to be served in just one layer. Every piece of risotto is supposed to be touching the plate. It's not supposed to be piled up. And he comes over and just slops it onto her plate like like a child serving macaroni and cheese. We're supposed to believe this guy's actually Italian? Was there nobody on set that's like, oh, that's not how you eat risotto. You don't just well, dump it into a bowl. I think like there's an important like context here, which is that like he is also like an Italian virgin with a dead mom. And he says like, <laughs> <laughs> this is what his mom made for dinner every night. So he's making it for her. Like, I think that whatever little muscle memory he has from when he was like six years old, watching his mom make this like absolute, like fair enough. Just gruel. I mean, I mean it's- at his age, I couldn't make risotto. I'm also not Italian, but uh, you know, it's, it seemed like he, it was his go-to. This is how you get a girl interested move. I'm going to make my patented risotto. And then he just, he <laughs> no. just dumped it. Like, like they were in the frat house. Dude, I was dating this guy in college who like fancied himself a chef and I would always be like, well, like, I don't know if you're like a chef. I think that like you just have money for like (laughs) multiple spaghetti sauces, but like he um, would like he kept his fettuccine Alfredo like in a jar or no, his Alfredo sauce like in a jar like outside of the fridge and i remember being like i think that you need to keep that this is actually this connects back to our earlier conversation about my beef yes (laughs) (laughs) i left a pound of beef out you guys and like literally (laughs) opened my phone and i'm like who are the last two people i texted and one was brian and one was nicole um and i just like texted i was like hey i left beef out for like three hours and it's almost room temperature can i keep this I didn't want to like I know and I appreciate that and there's a reason why I didn't like text my best friend Christina you have to understand you and like to our audience we don't know each other like Ryan and I don't know we did one podcast together we followed each other online there's no reason why I should be texting this man about whether or not my beef is like spoiled or not but I um (laughs) I feel like there's best friend potential here, though. So I just, just I, I, I feel honored. I didn't know what to do. I didn't yeah. know what to do, and I was like, if I go off the dome with like two people, they're going to give me honest feedback about this like like ground beef that I do not want to part with, and like it's just my fault. It was like 11 a.m. I didn't put the beef away, and it's like 1 p.m. All of a sudden, anyway. Um, he used to keep his fucking Alfredo sauce in the cabinet and like he really thought he was like a good chef. And I was like, you have to refrigerate well, a cheese up. product. Hold up. Hold up. Are we talking a refrigerate after opening situation here? Because it could be like it could have come off. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, it would be like he opened the Classico oh, oh, Alfredo disgusting. sauce disgusting. and then put it up in the, the cabinet. And I was oh like, I God. feel like that goes in the fridge. Thankfully, I never got there. But I'm letting I mean, you this know. T- this ties into later in the movie because you could end up with a Rudy Gooday situation with if you're eating this uh, this botulism filled <laughs> Alfredo yeah. sauce. We have to. Talk- yeah, we have to talk about that. We'll that. Yeah, that's intense. And I just will, I'll say that like sometimes, you know, when you're 21 and like you see a guy that's like a heterosexual living in a heteronormative world type of guy and he's even opening a jar of something, you're like, okay, he's really trying. Like this is the best version of what 
he can do with his skills. So totally, I get it. I was willing to forgive his risotto for that, but you know what? Like, don't do this to Anthony Bourdain. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. Do you think this movie is why? <laughs> no, stop, stop. You can't. <laughs> so Amanda, he wouldn't have been happy um, though. He wouldn't have been so, happy. So, so I'm moving past that. So Amanda Knox, um, she's sitting there reading this like. Japanese vampire cartoon that he has, which manga. like that's the whole psychology. Manga. Manga. <laughs> manga. Yeah, but yeah. I guess for him it's manga, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like he's sitting there reading that, and like I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this guy like beats off to like weird shit. You know what I mean? Oh, we're talking we're we're not going down a tentacle porn rabbit hole, <laughs> are we? It's like I don't feel like your we're listeners not. are into that. Yeah. But you guys know, like, that's the area if you want to Google in terms of what I was sort of thinking for what he's into. Because if I walked into a guy's place and he had that stuff and was like, yeah, I collect it. Like, it's like artwork to me. Um, I would say at this point in my life, for sure, at that point in my life, I would have been too young to know the greater implications of what that meant. But um, yeah, they're both from divorce homes. So we've got that damage checked off. Um, You know, his... He got teased at school a lot because divorce wasn't popular in Italy, which I think is also another nod to sort of how closed off that culture is. And Amanda got teased because everyone thought she was a lesbian. And so then they kiss because like this is the moment where he's like, oh, people thought she was a lesbian in high school. Like, I'm going to kiss yeah. her. And huge. then he pulls back and he goes, you don't kiss like a lesbian. And what? <laughs> she says, no, maybe you should try again. And I was like, well, what? To see if you kiss like a lesbian twice? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> how How does that, first of all, how does that line, that whole sequence survive the editing process? That, I mean, right. that feels like a... That feels like a first draft situation there. Not only does it make it all the way through everyone's eyes that looked at the script, it made it all the way through to, to the final draft. And then when they're shooting it, it's not everyone looking at each other going, how the fuck does a lesbian kiss? Like, what does that even mean? That's so nonsensical. Is it, is it a language barrier? Is it a cultural difference? Because it's so confusing. Cause every, I don't, I would imagine that in my life I've probably kissed a lesbian. I don't recall it specifically, but I don't I don't think that there's any difference. It's just people are people. They kiss how they kiss. How does a lesbian kiss? It's crazy. Is this by erasure that we're experiencing in lifetime movies? Like, come on, young <laughs> I, 2011. You know? Elementary school Amanda could have absolutely been bisexual. She just didn't have the vocabulary. But Holy. I will say, do you think that Lifetime knew that I would be recapping this on what would eventually be the launch of Taylor Swift's new lesbian cottagecore album, Folklore? No, I didn't see. I think that's just a coincidence, but maybe. I don't know. Stranger things have happened. I mean, Taylor really likes to plant those Easter eggs. And I would hate to think that she had something to do with the mer- uh, the murder of Meredith Kircher and therefore the release of this film. But I wouldn't put it past her. You know, Taylor Swift can do anything she wants. Well, I'll, um, I'll take it a step further because if if we're going to discuss possible low key or or undiscovered lesbianism, uh the wardrobe for the Amanda Knox character in this movie 
we're talking um, a lot of like empire waist shirts with like puffy shoulders and then cold, like baggy, not fitted Cole's jeans all bunched up around the ankle over like some ASICs possible new balance trainers. Like, is this, do we think she was really dressing like this at the time? I think that's the like sporty Seattle of it all meets the lifetime of it all. Because like they're going to have her in whatever was on sale at Ross Dress for Less, like whatever right. the version of that, that that's the budget for these movies. Like they got the green coat and that was really what mattered most to them because right. the green coat that Amanda wore in court was iconic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that she was just honestly and I think Amanda to this day remains sort of a you know pacific northwest girl like she's in that patagonia she's absolutely wearing a boot cut jean like she is yeah she's in the mix like that trainers Um, i get it so she um she writes a letter to home or maybe it's a diary entry lifetime's not clear and they never use this device again about how you know she loves the lifestyle in italy because it's not about work and money it's about how you spend your time and who you spend it with um but then moving forward a little bit, um, around the same time, the timeline's very blurry in this. And I think it's because Amanda was really only in Perugia for a month or something before this happened, like maybe a month and a half. Um, so it's it, this timeline is very blurry. And I, I think it would have done them some good to sort of map out what this timeline looked like. But um, I guess then they wouldn't have... S- like been able to so effectively blur blur the lines about whether or not these two college girls had beef with each other, but but, but they definitely R- Raffaele and Amanda definitely did work night one, right? Like that's not that's not uh, open for debate. I think so. I yeah. mean, if, if I had to guess, yeah. I mean, if not, they were very like quick. Like I think it was a very quick. I mean, this guy doesn't let her know that the reason why he's so down to be in a relationship is because he's never been in a relationship um, and they get caught up very quickly. So it's hard. It's hard to say, but um, we're going to listen to a moment here of some tension that comes up between Meredith and Amanda um, one day when they're leaving the apartment on the way to school. And we know this is on the same timeline because she references the chocolate festival that she and Raphael went to. <laughs> That's right. Um, 6.15 to 8.31. The chocolate festival was awesome. Are you going to go? Maybe. Maybe. But you were mad about chocolate. Something I want to talk to you about. Just don't want it turning into a big thing. Okay. I think you could be doing more around the flat, cleaning and things. I do clean. When? Every time I go into the bathroom, your stuff is all over the place. It's a sty. And you leave your dishes piled in the sink. Please stop. Sorry. I just... well, why didn't you tell me it bothered you before? I shouldn't have to tell you. It should be obvious. Hey, my two queens. What's up? What's up? This, this guy. <laughs> Look, I'll try harder, okay? Okay? Okay. Are we cool? Are we cool? Hey, met a guy. Oh, really? Yeah. He looks exactly like Harry Potter. He's quiet. He's super smart. 
Oh my gosh, his apartment. I think mm -hmm. his dad's really wealthy. Mm -hmm. Does he work? He's studying computer engineering at the university, but he, uh, he's not a geek. He's not like that. So you've barely been here two months and you've already got yourself a posh Italian boyfriend? Yeah, I think I do. We're from totally different cultures, but well, we have so much in common. It's, it's like destiny. Destiny? Yeah. Mm, I like the sound of that. Mm. Respect. <laughs>
And then there was girl cop. And then there was the prosecutor guy. I can't remember if the prosecutor dude was there straight away. I think I thought that was him. Unless like they just got two like over like weight white guys with gray yeah. hair to be in the movie, uh, which by the way is very lifetime to cast multiple guys in like the same type of role that look exactly the same. But this was a wig heavy movie. I will say, because I also think Hayden Panettiere is wearing a wig. She, yeah, I, I would agree. I'm not good with that though. Like I'm that person that my friend is like, Oh, you know, so-and-so wears a wig. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, Molly, she's been your really good friend for like seven years. You never noticed she wears a wig. And I'm like, no, I didn't know. I wouldn't know those sort of things. But Hayden Panettiere's hair looked really strange to me, her hairline in particular. Yeah, I agree. They Well, they tried to go dark. I, I don't know. I'm better. I'm, I notice it more on guys and Raffaello. Raffaele Solicito was definitely wigged up and so was so was wig cop and then they both I think they're both uh, local ITALs but they were doing they were speaking English and one was kind of doing a vaguely Irish accent with his English wig cop and then Raffaele was doing a vaguely uh, British sounding English accent and it was it was very confusing you had to like kind of let it settle in a little bit yeah who knows you know i i mean i'm so yeah i i i could always complain i'll only complain really honestly about a boston accent but after that i'm like you know what you're trying your best like anyone else they're trying their best boston don't bother trying it unless you already have it who does the best boston uh, accent casey affleck um well, I mean, anyone who's from Boston usually does a good Boston accent. Right. Like I would say anyone who's not from Boston does a very bad Boston accent. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> like that's basically just sort of the rules is like it's honestly a perfect storm. I know everyone loved that movie, but Ellen Burstyn, is she the chick in that movie? Yes. Her accent was so bad. It was so bad that I had a I, I couldn't like I couldn't get through the movie because it was just so glaring and she's a great actress. Very so good, yeah. Yeah. It was um painful. And that's like I think honestly, if you're from certain regions, that might be your curse is hearing people do your accents. Totally. Chicago probably feels that way too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they have a very grating accent. Yeah, but yeah. So anyway, um, this anyway, some big guy with gray hair shows up to the house and then the female prosecutor comes in and we find out that Philomena's roommate's window or Philomena's window was broken in a way that could have been staged. So we have got Philomena's broken window. Then we've got Meredith dead in her room. And then we have the Amanda of it all, which is like what happened there. Shades, um, shades of Christmas night, 1996, the, the broken window, the glass on the inside of the broken window. Yeah, it is. Honestly, it's very JB. It's very John Bonet. We actually just watched the her movie um, very recently on here, and this is like a crime scene that is very confusing. And still, honestly, based off of like what we're going off of today, doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, there's a lot of elements of this crime scene that still feel like a guessing game. Like something more happened there that night that we'll never know. Like maybe Philomena did this shit, not to blame like a real life person. Well, but she is, I mean? she's the low key villain in this movie, in my opinion. And we can get to that later. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, we find out that the blood was in a pool on the floor of Meredith's room, which means she must have been stabbed by the dresser. And whoever did this must have been covered in blood. So how did they get out without tracking all the bloody footprint footprints? And then we did find out that there was some footprints that tried to be cleaned up, cleaned up. But whoever did this was not like a seasoned criminal, essentially. Right. Um, so Amanda and Raffaele go for a walk and she gets a call from her mom and her mom's like, come home. And she has that good motherly instinct that's like, flee the country. You're totally. probably going to be arrested for murder. Her mom didn't know that much, but she had that motherly instinct. Amanda's like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm an adult. I have to do adult things. She's being a fucking punk. Like, she has no idea what's coming for her. I, God, I feel for her. Like, I have this, like, motherly instinct where I'm just like, girl, like, you got to get home. Like, I, that shit triggers me so bad. Sure. I just want to, like, protect her. Um, so the two of them, you know, Amanda and Raffaele, they are like, you know, they're they're getting ready to go back to his place for the night, but he gets a call from the police and they're like, come down to the police station. We need to talk. She tells the police her story about sleeping at Raffaele's house that night. Um, she went home in the morning to shower and change. She noticed the front door was open, but that it was a problem with the lock. She went upstairs to take a shower, noticed that there was some blood in the bathroom. And the detective's like, well, that's very brave of you to go into a place where the door is unlocked and there's blood on the floor. And I have to say, like, as a clueless person, I could find a way justifying all of that to myself, like the same way that she did. Totally, totally. And especially because what have we learned about um, Amanda? She lives in filth. She's she's generally dirty. So she walks in to take a shower and she sees she sees some blood drops and she's like, "I, I don't know. I thought it could be menstrual blood, like no big deal. I didn't. I just stepped over it. Who cares? Like that that made her seem guilty to them. But it's just because she's messy. But, like, here's the thing is that, like, chicks do be cutting themselves with razors and walking out of the bathroom, not reeling it. I lived with five girls in college. Like, it's, like, literally, it just that, like, it's not normal by any means. But the idea that, like, some sort of, like, crazy accident happened is not, like, out of a person's mind. And I feel like she is someone who isn't going to make something out of nothing. Like you really have to make something happen for Amanda Knox to even realize what's going on around her. It's true. Singular focus. Um, Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, she, she's like, whatever. So then Raffaele, we go to him and he's saying that when Amanda came back to him, his sister told him to call the police. So he did because his sister is like some sort of medical person or police person so when they leave the station amanda says that she just wants to find out whoever did this to poor meredith i should note that one thing i skipped when i was sort of like addying out over there is that the two of them were making out at the police station yeah they were they were doing she was sitting on it they were waiting to be interviewed by cops philomena's there crying a couple other randos that we don't get introduced to are also just like sobbing and she's sitting on raffaele's lap and they're mouth sexing each other like in the lobby of the police station waiting to get interviewed you figure like amanda's a little nutty you figure raffaele Sure, he hasn't hooked up with that many girls, but maybe you just let her know, hey, you know, a little bit later, 
Like, let's not let's chill out on this or other way around. Maybe he's the maybe he's the amorous one or maybe it's just these two sort of special individuals meet that are just super clueless about the way they're how the how they're acting affects the people around them. I don't I think it's I think it's a a, a number C. I think it's yeah, the third one. Right. dude. Yep. I really do. I think it's like a. They're just a little bit clueless because I don't, I can't, I, I don't know. You have to almost be existing on another plane to think that that's okay. Like yeah, you're literally crazy. there for a murder investigation and you're making out. I would be afraid that like, I would literally, my Irish Catholic brain would be like, oh, you can't make out at the police station. You'll get arrested. Yeah. That's like, everyone. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's a that's normal, normal way to think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought that was Irish Catholic. So anyway, so then the two of them, this is when they go on their, their little underwear walk. So they go for a walk and this is where they buy some underwear. We're going to hear from the guy who owns that store later, but um, we find out Amanda's definitely going to be staying with Raffaele for a while because she's locked out of her place because it's an active crime scene, which by the way, how bad does that suck? Like, that's why she had to get the underwear. She was out on all her underwear was at her place. Yeah, you don't, I mean, can you imagine you don't even have a t-shirt just because, I mean, just because there was a murder at your apartment, you can't even change your clothes. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would suck. Not to Especially make light of it, but. There's no, there's, we've learned, we've determined that she shops at Kohl's and or Ross and or Marshall's, none of which I imagine exist in Perugia. I will say that like in my mind, Bubbles, which apparently is the name of this lingerie store that they went to. It's I think it was pretty high end, like if I recall Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the press, which I'm like, Jesus Christ, like you get locked out of your apartment. You spent one hundred and twenty dollars on underwear or whatever. Like, that's insane. Like, that's like, honestly, on your budget, Amanda, I saw how hard you worked at that Seattle coffee shop. Like, you can't afford that. You're only making 50 euros a week. Right. Yeah. Now she's now she's working at Patrick Lumumba's place. And it's like, go where the locals go to get their undies. You're only going to be wearing you probably only wear them once. Eventually, you're going to get back into your apartment and get your own things. Yeah. So let's just like skate forward to that. Basically, Amanda comes home one day to the apartment and she's like, there's this job at a place called Le Chic. I really want to go get it. And Meredith's like, oh, I'm studying. And she's like, come, you have to come to the bar with me. So Le Chic is amazing because, I mean, I don't know. I want to play the scene where she goes in to get hired. She wants to make sure she looks sexy enough before she goes in, which like, by the way, I haven't worked in like nightlife or like in a restaurant in so long. I forgot that that's part of the gig. Like you have to be like, do I look hot enough to work at this restaurant? Which is like an insane insane thought to me at this point. Like the idea of looking hot to work at a restaurant is insane to me. Also, Le Chic is the size of a closet of a, of a medium size walk-in closet. It's exactly like what you would expect from a bar called Le Chic in Parisa. <laughs> yes. like, it's really overcompensating. So <laughs> they go in and, um, you know, this is a moment of tension. We're going to experience between the two girls, um, 2439 to 2548. Vincento, press from local Malvasia grapes. Grazie. I used to make mojitos with that vodka back in London. Vodka mojitos? Mm, they're amazing. You want to try one? Sure. I need a waitress. Two nights a week. You have any work experience? 
Uh, yeah, while I was going to college, I worked part-time at a cafe and a sports bar and an art gallery. The pay at Le Chic is 50 euros a week, plus tips. Want to think it over? No, no, I'll take it. <laughs> Here you go. It's fantastic. Wow. I don't even miss the room. Maybe you could come in once a week and bartend. We could do Meredith's mojito night. Oh, good luck getting her away from the books. It's not easy. <laughs> My course load is a little insane right now, but maybe in the spring. Deal. This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming. And when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So Amanda was not expecting to go into her job interview and get upstaged by Meredith and her vodka mojito, which she got I've, cucked. I've been saying she did get cucked mm -hmm. at her job interview, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I can't justify a reason 
why like the essence of a mojito is like i gave up like it's like you're having five packets of sugar and two shots of rum like what's with the you know oh i'm gonna do vodka in here now are you trying to keep that slim is that a slim cocktail Uh, so it's insane because rum is something with flavor and you can't you can't go hey i'm gonna replace the flavorful thing with something with no flavor and then have somebody that makes his living in the bar business go oh this is insane this is incredible what have you done here you've put a flavorless thing in place of a flavored thing and now it's it's my mind is blown what 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 that's just it's beyond that couldn't have really happened i i don't know if where i'm supposed to think that this guy's from i'm not you know mr mumbai i have no idea exactly where he's from i assume the islands of some sort but i feel like i would would say africa why would he want or why would he want to sub out i is he from africa i would say yeah patrick lumumba but i feel like um i feel like um rudy gaudet is from the islands or something no he's he was from the ivory coast oh the ivory coast yeah so i think they're they're just from they're just african dudes oh okay so why would so well do they love do they love vodka or rum interchangeably in africa i feel like i almost felt like it was with the jamaican music i was getting a little bit of like a a little like i was getting a little like blurred moment there for me well maybe maybe you're right but then he but then he would if he were an island person he'd be more into the rums it's just crazy the whole thing was crazy that's what I was saying. And then also Le Chic implies Parisian. Like, I just think honestly, if Le Chic could just like trim it down to a signature cocktail menu, yeah. yep. that things would have been a lot easier over there. Totally. But it was a lot to introduce the vodka mojito felt like a new energy to me that was chaotic in and of itself. And also he's already given, he's just met Meredith. She makes one cocktail and he's offering her her own night Meredith Mondays or something. Like I, I can tell when somebody's trying to get it in. And I feel like my, my dude Patrick was trying to do some work there. He, he liked what he saw. Right. And Amanda doesn't take too kindly to this. Cause there is also no day of the week that starts with a, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> or pay. Like she was fucked. Like yeah, she, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no pun for her name. Uh-uh. So um, I mean you could do like a well, we won't spend too much time on that. So anyway, <laughs> I could spend two hours Right. Foxy Fridays. <laughs> pitching yeah, man and Knox theme bar nights. We don't need to do that. So um this scene is uh this there's like sort of giving us the competitive vibe here. And we're supposed to run with this the entire movie. Like these suggestions of tension are supposed to inform us as an audience about this, remember, unsettled case. Like there's this case was not settled. The family did not want this coming out because it was going to like sort of muddy the waters about whatever her trial outcome would be. And I felt that, that was very empowering to Lifetime. Like they were giving Lifetime a little bit too much credit in that sense, but um yeah, I mean, I thought this was like a kind of irresponsible thing. I don't think we heard about them being you know, mojito motivated over there. Right. You, you, it's hard to put yourself in the, uh, mind frame of the time because you forget that 
you know, you assume you assume she was innocent, but she was convicted of this thing. And this is mm-hmm. this movie's made before she was convicted. So, yeah, they're kind of setting up the thing where like, hey, everyone thinks she didn't do it. And maybe that's maybe that's just looking at it through the lens of we're both Americans here. But, you know, she had a rivalry with this girl and we're going to you could see why the Knox family would be irritated at this movie because it does kind of set up a a, a fake rivalry that maybe could have been motivation for Amanda to do a ritual sex murder of her roommate. Totally. And actually, well, so it was post conviction, like pre appeal. And so I think that, you know, her family spent a lot of money to have the press narrative reversed, like probably more money than they had. And so this was like kind of disturbing to that moment. Um, But anyway, Raffaele and Amanda are talking about how they want all of this to be over soon. They're tired of this murder shit. Um, And they're in bed. She's talking to him about this time last year. She was just worried about school and her job. And now she's in a murder investigation. They're smoking a joint. And they're just like, you can just tell that they just have gross sex in that room all day. Yeah, it looks smelly. Yeah, it really does. His apartment, though, like I was shocked she walked out of that place and was like, he's got money because like to me, it looked like a dank ass. Well, like it looked disgusting. Yeah, it was dark. It looked as it looked like slightly shittier than where she lived with her roommates. Totally. In that yeah. there was sunlight in Amanda's place. And exactly he to live in some like place you could grow mushrooms behind the toilet. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we found out that the wounds on Meredith were really terrible and that obviously she tried to fight whoever it was um that attacked her and that basically you know all of the sort of injuries indicated that there probably was two people involved like one person had to hold her down and another person was actually like stabbing her and committing the crime um they think that she died between 9 30 and 11 30 p.m which is very early for europe if you ask me i was thinking that all of this happened way too early in the evening for me yeah because she had supposedly come back from dinner she'd already been out to dinner yeah and like apparently amanda and raffaele were you know in one version of events like done after the bar and that seemed very early to me so Um, they cut off her bra. We know that. Um, and then, um, yeah, so Amanda comes into the police station again and she tells them the last time she saw Meredith, she was playing guitar in the kitchen and Meredith was exhausted when she came in. She seemed hungover. She'd been out till five 30 in the morning. Do you think that suicide was ever considered because the last time anyone saw her, her roommate was playing acoustic guitar in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's unlikely, but, uh, you know, stranger that things have is, happened. Honestly, it's the most telling thing about Amanda yes. probably in this movie is that she's someone who's like hungover roommates are waking up and she's jamming on the acoustic yes. in the kitchen. Like her roommate still has fake blood on her face from playing a vampire the night before and like for Halloween and she's yeah, she's she's out. trying to pluck out horse with no name on the at the kitchen table. I mean just stunning. I know she was playing Dave. Like yeah. I'm gonna be honest. We're DMV? Like, yeah, we're Dave fans over at the network, so like no slander to Dave, but like I know Amanda was playing some DMB for sure. 
For sure. She was jamming. Yes. She's well, and she's from Seattle. She's from Seattle and she wears boot cut jeans. Of course she was she was jamming some Dave. She was learning how to play satellite. <laughs> totally. So um she tells them that, you know, she and Raffaele went into her bedroom later on in the day and you know she gets all shy and they're like listen amanda we're italian we've seen everything and she's like fine we had sex and then we smoked a joint and then we went back to his place we watched a movie online and then we smoked another joint we had sex and we went to bed and i was like you just admitted to smoking weed in two places and probably illegally streaming a movie you fucking idiot amelie they watched Amelie. Yeah. But like, I was like thinking to myself, like, girl, like, do you have like receipts for where you got that movie? Like, it, these people seem like they're on a tear, and I would well, not give them anything. White privilege. Like, I don't, I, I must not have it because I would be afraid to admit to any of those things. Never. Yeah. Never. Well, I mean, like, I think that, like, yeah, that's like, really living in your truth with white privilege we definitely have it but like i would say that she's really living in her white privilege Big truth time. Right now. um so then they're like well what happened after that and she's like well why are you asking me so much about my story and they're like well you know we have to look into everyone's story um and so blah 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 then we go to um what time she woke up the next day she's like 10 a.m i went back to my house and then, you know, you know what happened from there. And she doesn't understand why they're asking her all these questions again. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, you are officially a part of the investigation. Why don't you come back to the cottage with me? So she goes back to the cottage, which is the first time I've ever heard it referred to as that. And he's like, tell me about the four guys downstairs. Interesting, right? Because we don't hear a lot from these yep. four guys downstairs. Yeah. And that was a choice. Like they're, they wanted to go one direction with this movie. And meanwhile, the prosecutors, I think had two investigations going at the time, but we're only, we're only getting the Amanda Knox side. And also Meredith had a boyfriend, but also she was banging one of the guys in the apartment downstairs. Right. Yeah. Do you think actual one direction lived in the apartment downstairs. Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking. I was thinking that Harry and Zane. <laughs> that's who you were going towards. Yeah, Omar. no, she was banging one of those guys. She was banging one of those guys for sure. For sure. And, um, Jack was his name. Right. And he was like, well, the cops like, well, did they have a key? And she's like, well, no, they just started dating. And I was like, Amanda, don't be so sure. People in their 20s are idiots. Like totally. you would absolutely to the guy downstairs that like is already your friend. And then you start banging him like, yeah, like go, you know, they don't have a cat, but it'd be like, go feed the cat. Like, here's a key, whatever. So um, she's like, you know, they were new to dating. Um, and then basically you know, Amanda's sort of trying to like orient herself and like realize what it is exactly they're accusing her of. Um, and she's like, well, the window was broken. Like the, she doesn't understand why they have so many questions about this murder. That totally. happened. She's still um, doing cartwheels in the, in the police station. Yeah. And, and in her mind in this scene. And then the guy takes her into the kitchen. He opens up the kitchen drawer and he's like, are any of the knives in here missing? And at that moment, she has an absolute meltdown. Yeah, it hits her. Uh, and it's unclear, 
obviously to us, it seems like she's maybe being triggered by like the motion of him opening that drawer. Maybe it's just really all hitting her for the first time that like this is an active murder investigation. Totally. I don't know. What do you think that was? Um, I think it just she hadn't processed it yet. And this is this is the way grief works. And this is the way that shock works and this is what happens a lot of times when somebody dies unexpectedly or in a very horrible way we expect people close to the person to have a very specific reaction and so when we hear a 911 call and we go that person's too calm or that person's too animated it's like there's not a right way to handle these things. And a lot of times it just doesn't, you just cannot believe it's so horrible that you can't process it in the moment. And then all of a sudden, just one little thing like, Hey, look at your box of knives. You go, or your uh, drawer full of knives. You go, Oh shit. A knife that I owned or that I used to, to cut, things in the kitchen was used to kill my roommate and boom it all hits you and you come apart her software got a new update yes exactly yes that's right i feel that (laughs) um okay so we're gonna play um 3225 to 3338 she said the police took her back to the crime scene today so it was terribly upsetting don't they have any other witnesses Amanda said they're talking to everyone who knew Meredith. That's was so traumatic. You have to keep reliving it every single day. She said they questioned her every single day this week. Amanda's a smart kid. She can handle it. She's in a foreign country, Chris. Dealing with foreign police in a foreign language. Yeah. I'm going to leave tomorrow. I don't want her dealing with this another day by herself. We found this partial next to Meredith's body. It's a men's Nike athletic shoe set in Meredith's blood. This bloody footprint was on the mat in the bathroom, also male. The lab is analyzing it for specific class characteristics. Size-wise, it's compatible with Raffaele Sollecito. What about the, um, the luminol footprints you found in the hallway? Uh, are they compatible with Sollecito? Mm, too small. They're between a size 36, maybe 38. Amanda Knox is a size 37. This is like, there's two reasons I wanted to play all that. One, I felt like we need to give Marsha Gay Harden her like moment. Totally. um, Where she's trying to get everyone in that scene to rise to the occasion. But you can tell like as an actress, she's realized that's not going to happen. So she's, you're exactly right. Just sort of like slogging through the marsh here. Like she's just trying to get through the scene. But you know, I loved this because it's so specifically like unremarkable that Amanda Knox is a size seven and a half shoe. And they're like, yeah. well, I mean, I think we've got a match. Because well, all like, three of the girls probably wore around that size. Yeah. I mean, I, we- I wear like a size 37 and a half. Like it's like a size eight shoe. Like that's like saying like, oh, that guy was six feet taller. That woman was five, six. Like that's kind of everyone. Yes. Like if you were to narrow the population, that is like a, the most incredibly average shoe size for a woman. Um, and so him like drawing that in as evidence, and this is very much like, again, what sort of like 
did and didn't remind me of the OJ situation where it's like, okay, this is very like obviously what's happening here, but is the evidence lazy or is like the criminal like not meeting up to it? Like this is where almost I feel like this is what OJ's (laughs) defense attorneys were trying to sell to us happened, but it absolutely did not like whatever this was, it was a decline. Yeah, but it's, it's not, they don't exactly in Perugia, they do not exactly have cutting edge uh, crime solving tactics because basically the prosecutor who's also a cop for some reason is like, Hey, um, I got this hunch and they're like, well, none of the evidence really fits the hunch. And they're like, hold on. There's a size 37 footprint. And they're like, all right, well, I guess at mean, but OJ, he was, there was nothing but evidence against him. He just, he just could afford good lawyers. You're right. I guess I'm just sort of like thinking about how both of these cases were so fumbled in, oh, yes, in like such sort of like 101 ways. Like, I feel like these are the things that they taught us about on Sesame Street and they're fucking this up somehow. I'm just Big confused time. by it. Okay, so Philomena goes in and she completely sells Amanda out. And totally. she's like, Amanda and Raffaele were making out. Meredith's English friends, myself, we were a mess. And then I said to Amanda, like, you know, I hope she just, I hope she didn't suffer. And Amanda says, of course she suffered. She died a terrible, slow death with her throat slit. Um, and this moment, I guess, is very bone chilling to Philomena. And it is. But also when you look at it from just a factual standpoint, Amanda's right. Right. But Amanda has a personality disorder, so she doesn't know to say, hey, yeah, I hope she didn't suffer, too, or just put her at ease. She just spouts the wiki of what happens when somebody gets their throat cut. And that's (laughs) she just think that's how you deal with a human being that's really in a place of just total uh, just completely just bereft of their friend and just like, can't, can't imagine something that grisly happened happening. And Amanda's like, no, here's what happened. She, the knife went in through the side and it went and it crossed the jugular and she probably bled out in the next, I don't know, 28 seconds. Like she just, she knows the details and she's just not, not doesn't have the capacity to understand that somebody that might be hard for somebody to hear. Right. No, totally. And that is, I mean, that is the case. I think that like, you know, there's two types of people in the world. You're right. It did feel a little like spouts the wiki, but also at the same time, I feel like it's very like, you know, it's just honest. Like you're in this situation and then you have the balls to be like, well, I hope she didn't suffer. It's like, sweetie, look at the facts. Okay. Like how many of us were found dead under a comforter? Like obviously (laughs) she's having a worse day than we are. Like, obviously this isn't going great for her because that is something people do in death is they're like, oh, well, I hope it wasn't too traumatic. And it's like, there's no way that's not like, Until we have been shot in the brain, like none of us can be like, well, that person didn't feel any, at least they were shot in the brain. They didn't feel anything. It's like, well, like until you felt a bullet enter your skull, like let's not like 
make judgments about what they did or didn't feel. Yeah, because we're imagining it happening to us where we're like, oh, man, I hope that, you know, I hope that the the smoke inhalation got them before the actual fire. And it's like, no, that's a horrible like whatever happened is horrible. And let's just all agree that it's horrible and hope it doesn't happen to us because it's going to be horrible for us, too. Totally. Um, so then the prosecutor is like shocked by this because apparently there's no way that Amanda could have had known that Meredith had her throat slit unless she knew about the crime scene, which I seriously doubt just based on how these people, the way the foot traffic has been, the fact that they even brought Amanda back to the scene and like what we will find out later about some of the details of this case where things were not bagged up properly or brought to evidence, like the idea that Amanda couldn't have put together that she was slit on the course. Like, I mean, come on. And they're leaking everything to the paparazzi and it's just, it's just a very Keystone cops esque situation. And also you can kind of do the math. Like there's blood everywhere. Like you, you understand how these things kind of go and maybe it was a lucky guess or maybe she read it in the fucking newspaper. Exactly. And then the female detective has also gotten this information that an American girl with pale eyes and a light complexion came into his store at 745 in the morning after Meredith had been murdered and bought cleaning supplies. And he identified her photo already. And like, I'm going to be a cynic and just say, like, in this village, it might have been his X factor to be like, this is where Amanda Knox came to clean up after her crime. Like, granted, that's not a great advertisement based off of, like, everything that happened to Amanda Knox. But, like, it is, I think, something in a small enough place where you might want that you might want that media attention. Yeah, he get, he gets a little shine and, who, you know, maybe maybe he's thinking, well, it's not that big a detail and she has been and maybe it was a different day. I don't remember, but it's it's my I can get a quote in the newspaper. People are going to know who I am. He doesn't think it's a big detail. And then the, these cops, these uh, small town two bit cops that they have in Perugia are like, oh, no, we're going to base our whole case on this when we know we've since learned that eyewitness evidence is basically the worst kind of evidence you can have. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. 100%. And like, you know, I also think that this guy to this day is probably still getting tourists like buying bottles of water from him simply because of this. Because when I was going through Reddit, apparently this little like apartment building in Parisia, although it's gone under some construction, it still gets a lot of drive-bys. Like, all oh, the sure. time from people wanting to see where Amanda Knox lived. This is this is like the the Gretna Green uh, condo in Brentwood. Same same setup. People are ghoulish. You know they want to drive by. For sure, yeah. Um, so then Raffaele gets a call from the police, um, and he's like, "Okay, they just want me to come over there now." So he's going to sit in this investigation sort of situation for. We'll play this clip. 3630 to 3840. We looked into your background. You have a longer history with narcotics, correct? Mm. I have taken some drugs, but now I mainly just smoke weed. Is it also true that you always carry a knife with you? I've collected knives since I was... 14. It's a hobby. What, like lying? 
What's that supposed to mean? These records show that both you and Amanda turned off your mobile phones at 8 p.m. on the night of the murder and turned them on again at 6 the next morning. So maybe I turned my phone on earlier. What's the big deal? You told us you and Amanda slept until 10 a.m. on November the 2nd. Were you sleepwalking? Maybe I forgot. You forgot. When the postal police arrived at the cottage, you told them you'd already called 112. There is no record of such a call. I did call 112. Yes, you did, but you made that call 10 minutes after they arrived, not before. Here. Listen, you spoiled brat. We're not dealing with a parking ticket here, okay? A girl has been murdered. If you don't start talking, not even your daddy will be able to dig you out. Yes. Is that clear? Yes. Good. I'm listening. I told you a lot of rubbish in my earlier statements. Mm-hmm. Amanda convinced me of her version, and I... I just wanted to protect her. But I didn't think about the contradictions. Okay, here's a question. It just occurred to me. Do you think he learned English from PewDiePie? Yeah, he definitely did. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yes, like, do you he not talks hear weird. it? Yeah. He has, he Rubbish. Has little, he has a little PewDiePie in him. He has like a little, like, I learned English from someone who knows English as a second language. Absolutely. 100%. Voice. And, um, you know, I, I would only dream of knowing three languages. Like, my to- other yeah. takeaway from that is like, oh, can you imagine being so totally. linguistic? The- and th- so this is, w- this is also where they make him like seem like a full on drug addict. Like his eyes are all red and they're like, do you take drugs? And he's like, eh, you know, like most days. And then I'm like, and I'm cool with it. I'm like, Hey, whatever, you know, do some drugs. Nobody's, nobody's judging you. And then they go, then they go, don't you also collect knives? And he's like, oh yeah, it's a, and then he calls it a hobby. Yeah. At that at that point he's he's my suspect number 1. Like it just he's a he collects knives, calls it a hobby. There's a 100% chance that somewhere in that dank apartment of his with his manja drawings, with his manja <laughs> magazines, there's a samurai sword and he's proud yeah. of it. He's really stoked to have it. He shows it to people when they come over. He might even have like one of those like fit, like Highlander, like a replica Highlander thing that he's really into and at that point i'm like kind of with the cops do you know i think we're alone now <laughs> yeah wait is that a movie the no the tiffany documentary oh no i i mean i recall the song oh my god brian this will be your favorite movie it's about two tiffany i'm crying it's about two tiffany fans that are like so into tiffany and they're like so removed from reality about their tiffany fandom and like they both think that they're sort of in a relationship with her and then one of them jeff he he, um was actually arrested for bringing her like a katana sword well it's just like the whole time you're telling me about this first of all i write it down because i'm gonna watch it and the 
the whole time you're telling the story, I'm thinking of like, I'm picturing like two sort of heavy set women from the Midwest with like bad haircuts. And then you're like, and then one of her fans, Jeff, and I was, and it was like, down was up, up was down. And then I felt so stupid because I'm like, of course they're dudes. Like, where was I this whole time? I went down this whole path of a thing and I couldn't have been more dumb about it. And now I got to watch it even more. One I believe is non-binary. I don't think that's ever really like addressed. Um, but <laughs> okay. like even uh, better. Jeff like is like, yeah, you know, I mean, I brought Tiffany uh katana sword and they arrested me and put me in all these newspapers, and he's like laughing fondly about it. And he's like, they actually thought I was some sort of like threat to her, like I was bringing her a sword as a gift. <laughs> And like he's so delusional about why that would appear as a threat, and it's like, sir, you are forty. This is a fifteen-year-old girl. You're bringing a sword to a mall tour. Like it is so on another level. It exists. It's honestly, it's like one of the most divine creations that exists in our universe. Is I think I'm we're alive. We I'm should recap that for one of our like Patreon things. I think Let's that that's like we get, you will die. Like I'm into it. It's so, um, if you like polyamory, married and dating, wait, I think we're alone now. Okay, let's do it. So while he's giving that statement, Amanda is doing her cartwheels in the hallway. And to this day, she maintains that that's just how she sort of cuts loose. Um, I believe her. I believe her as well. So then we're going to go back to the rest of Raffaele's questioning. It's 3905 to 3946. Did you stay with Amanda all night, Raffaele? That's what we really want to know. We were at my apartment early in the evening. But around nine o'clock, she went out. She was meeting up with some friends in this bar, Le Chic. And I stayed home. What time did she come back? Not until one in the morning. I have no idea where she was all night. Dude, it's ghoulish because, like, why would he give her up for that? It's like knowing what Amanda's going to sit through, where they're going to have her there for like 13 hours of questioning following this. The fact that he gave in, it's unbelievable. It, It is. Except it always happens, whether it's Brendan Dassey or Jesse Miss Kelly or any. There's always somebody that admits to some shit that they didn't do or weren't anywhere near because it's just they're just they get confused. They're not that smart to begin with. Like it's it's a tactic that these cops use to coerce information. And at least half the time, it's not even true. They make it up. They put, yeah. they, they, they force the thoughts into your head. I just would think like, you know, Raffaele, he just, that was on some real bitch shit. The way it, no, he I agree with you. Up. Like, yeah. it's just like, what the fuck, dude? Um, I'd be trying so hard. Like I would be negotiating that narc life. Like I'd be doing all of that in that moment. That's too much pressure. Like I just rather never see people that, like do anything that can make me adjacently 
a part of any illegal action. I would just rather know nobody. I grew up a juvenile delinquent and I cannot tell you how many times I've been in situations where I didn't, I wasn't even like the, I may have been part of it, but I wasn't the worst part of it. And I just sat there quiet. I never gave anybody up. But again, like, you know, I'm, I'm probably more, I don't have a knife collection. I don't have swords. Like I don't, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't collect manja. So maybe that's the difference. Do you think he's like, like he's definitely the Takashi six nine of this situation? Oh, for sure, yeah, definitely. He had like no stakes whatsoever yeah. in any of this, yeah. and he's selling out bitches who are like hardcore in the middle of it all, like for totally. no reason. Totally. Uh, so Amanda asks, like, why? She, so she comes in next, and they're like, okay, here's an English translator. They give her an English translator who is of no help to her, seemingly. Um, because she's getting questioned over and over again. They ask about this text that she got from Patrick Lomomba. She's like, oh, Patrick just told me I didn't need to go to work tomorrow. And then they're like, well, read your response. And so apparently what she wrote was like what she understood to be the Italian translation of like, see you around, which means like, you know, see you whenever. And in Italy, apparently that means like you have a hard standing appointment when you say whatever version of that is that she gave. And they're really like hinging on this as opposing, like, she's like, you know, she's ISL. She's Italian as a second language. Like she doesn't know what's going on. So they ever go through the story over and over again. We know this tale. They fucking just rail you on these things. I would completely like cave under that. Um, So she comes to Patrick Lumumba. He comes in. He's like, I could never kill Meredith. I have seven sisters. And I love that the cops like absolutely patronized him about this because they were like, you know, oh, you have seven sisters. Whereas I feel like with the Me Too movement either, even though we just started calling guys out on this, guys love to be like, oh, I have a daughter. Like, I'm perfect. I can never do that. Oh, I have. I like, are you kidding me? I have sisters. I have a mother. (laughs) <laughs> and also, there, we're in a culture where where guys live with their mom till they're fifty. Like this guy's <laughs> like, I couldn't do that, and they you could tell they tuned him up because his he had like a black eye, and you know he'd been through the ringer with the cops, and he's he's like, I got seven sisters, I couldn't do this, and you figure he's appealing to their to their better nature because these guys love their mother more than anybody in the world and their sisters, uh, but no, it doesn't it doesn't work. Now, um, okay, they've let Patrick Lumumba go. They're like, he's free. He doesn't have anything. So then right. we go to uh, 4601 to 4730. This is when Marcia Gay Harden shows up as a tourist to Italy with a fucking big bag suitcase. Like, it is gigantic. A water. She's got a map. She's walking around asking people if they speak English. Yeah, that's the best part. She's like, do you speak? Excuse me. Do you speak English? Like, it's very, uh, very on the nose. Let's play this. Okay. Do you speak English? English? Thank you. Uh, Sorry. Just a minute. Hi. Chris, I'm finally here. (laughs) Police just arrested Amanda for Meredith's murder. What? Look, it's going to be okay, honey. Just go to the mayor's office, okay? How can they possibly arrest her? I know you want dancers, but right now we have none. 
Well, my ex-husband, who's Amanda's father, is going to be here on Friday, and he is contacting the American embassy. The mayor has spoken to a criminal attorney, Lorenzo Giordano. He's very good, very experienced, and he knows everyone. Well, there's a possibility that she won't even need a lawyer, right? I mean, once this whole thing is straightened out, right? I mean, Amanda is, she's, she's, she's only 20 years old. She's an honor student. She's, she's kind. And she's gentle, and there is no way she could be involved in something like this. It's a horrible mistake. Can I call my mom? You're tired. I feel like she took it like that, too. Like, I feel like Amanda walked into her jail cell, like, not crying and then just, like, asked in plain English, despite speaking Italian, can I call my mom? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Is this this isn't the part where she's in a cell and she has a cellmate and they're both wearing the exact same sweater, is it? No, no, it's she doesn't know one at this point. Yeah. Although I will say that these cells look so much more luxurious than anything you'd get in America. Very plush. I agree. Um, okay. But do you remember Pete Buttigieg? Um, I wish I could forget, but yeah, <laughs> that's exactly who her stepdad looks like. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can see it. He also, Oh wait, the stepdad, the real dad kind of has Willie from Alf vibes, but yeah. when, oh, no, when totally. he was on crack. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think about the dad from Alf all the time. I think yeah. we all do like those of us who are on like that sort of next wave, but like not the next, next wave. We spend a lot of time in the dad from Alf space. For sure. Um, but yeah, no, I couldn't help but notice that. And then I got a little angry because I saw Chastain Buttigieg was like trying to get in on that Taylor Swift like release today. Like, you know, he's like, oh, are you telling me like we're so lucky? And I'm like, Chastain, listen, do you have a fucking Fit Tea sponsor or what? <laughs> like, I'm actually going to look him up because I feel like he might qualify and that that would fly under our radar. How are you encountering Chastain Buttigieg? Um. I was, um, so I'm locked out of my Twitter. I've noticed. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I am just checking. I have Wags's Twitter. Like oh. I have, I have Wags's Twitter account. And so, so it's like your burner. Yeah. But I don't follow anyone on there. So if I want to like find out about a trending topic, I literally just have to search it. And like Chastain Buttigieg was like in the, you know, top. Oh my God. He'd still displayed you. So you're doing like uh, analog boomer Twitter. Yeah, it's bad. It's a nightmare scene. Like, honestly, seeing what I understand. Like, I mean, I'm not saying like it's okay, but like, I understand why people are so stupid. Like, it's unbelievable when your algorithm is whack. Like, you've got nothing in this world. Yeah. So you can just see like you can just click the, the topics on the right. Dude, like if I went on there right now, I feel like Howard Johnson's would be like, it's like literally like sports, like random fucking names. Like, okay, what's okay. Right now we've got number one, drag race. Number two, Paw Patrol. Verlander. What the fuck is that? Shane Bieber. Baseball pitcher. Yeah. None of this shit. Wrigley. Yeah. Okay. So like, this is what my, this is what this Twitter thinks I'm interested in. My other Twitter would be like, 
I don't know what it would be like. It would be right. so much better than this. But yeah, I was, I've been Twitter. on there though. I've been trying to like train my algorithm, but I want to follow people on there. Cause like Wags didn't consent to that. My dog didn't, doesn't want to know anything about that. He just wants to follow what's going on with Kanye and Taylor and like move on with his life, you know? And now it's going to be nothing but Chastain Buttigieg <laughs> in his Taylor Swift opinions. Oh my God. That's actually something to try. Like what if I literally opened up a new Twitter account and just experimented to try and be like the top Chastain Buttigieg fan on, on that personal Twitter. I feel like somebody's already done it. You're right. That's like such a, yeah, you're right. I feel like you couldn't even be the 150th Chastain Buttigieg fan on Twitter at this point. You're no, like you're so right. I literally just, I could feel myself blink at like how hard I was thinking about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So she's sitting in this jail cell by herself. Um, we see obviously there's this huge commotion going on outside. She's already like a huge press moment. Um, they're asking about her MySpace. Now her dad is there. We've got a divorced family working together. The co-parenting is off the charts here. They have both come out for their daughter. As a a father of divorce, I was so triggered by this. I was like, I couldn't. This is the last. First of all, I don't want a child charged with a murder that they didn't do. But also, I don't want to be forced to interact with someone who I think is a very nice person. But it's there's a reason that we don't see each other very often. And I couldn't imagine being stuck in it was it was a lot for me. That's all I'll say. Oh, no, 100 percent. Like you're in a foreign country bleeding money, bleeding money with someone who you yes. both of you have moved on. And like you're dealing with the most intense version of a situation like it would almost be better if Amanda was dying in a weird way. Right. Are you going to dinner together? Are you splitting tabs? Are you staying at the same hotel? Like, how does it all work? Oh, my God. No, you're totally right. So um, they have a visit. Basically, they ask her what happened. And she's like, I don't know. This is a nightmare. Meredith was her friend. Her dad asked why she's arrested. She's like, Raffaele lied. I was with him the night of the murder. She can't understand what's going on. They interrogated her for 13 hours. She comes clean about the fact that they were like apparently smacking her on the back of the head while she was being interrogated. And a lot of the things that she's saying that we didn't see, you could obviously were intended to take it either way. Like she's either making this up or it, She's not in this whole thing has been manipulated against her, which I believe it was, but you would be surprised at some of the people who still think she's guilty on Reddit. Yeah. It's it's you make a good point because while I'm watching it, I'm not in a place where there's any, there's any question about whether or not Amanda Knox was involved in this murder. But when this movie was made, it was undetermined. And so when you, watch it when you think of it in the context of the time it's a very different movie and you could see why her family wasn't happy about it okay get with this though okay 117 days ago user salted diamond on reddit on the amanda knox reddit writes a post title um you aren't that hot (laughs) post says 
Just watch the documentary. She really loves herself. I can tell she's full of it. I honestly think she had something to do with it. If she didn't murder Meredith, she knows way more. Also, if there was blood in the sink, I would go and just check in my roommate, check if my roommate was okay or something. It's not not just take a shower straight up. And like, literally, this is her contribution to the dialogue. Um, She's not that hot. Like, there are women who are probably actively like (laughs) high school jealous of Amanda Knox. Oh, for sure. They're watching that and thinking that Amanda Knox is like, well, I guess I was just like really hot. And like, they decided to pin this murder on me. Like, baby, it's not that. It's that like, she is a light eyed, blonde haired girl from Seattle who had a a roommate who was brutally murdered. And like, it, it all added up. And we saw, if you saw that documentary, it was all the press. This was literally the tabloid media that made this into what it was. And Amanda's very girl next door pretty. And that's exactly what she is. She's like Katie Holmes, like of the Dawson's Creek era where you're just like, yeah, that's like a really wholesome, pretty girl. Um, Yeah. But I love that. Um, You're not that hot. Like (laughs) this girl, like has some fucking issues i don't think anybody's really saying that by the way oh no i think she totally i mean i think she thinks well like my point is that she watched the documentary and her takeaway was that amanda thought she was so hot right like that's that's like literally like how i thought of britney spears when i was 13 like where i was like listen britney okay like you may be pretty but like you can't be everyone's girlfriend okay and like by the way like i have a way better personality than you like she's literally like that's how i thought of britney spears when i was in like a freshman in high school so it's like a competition yeah Right. And it's like, sweetie, you're not competing with Amanda Knox. Like, I hate to break it to you. So Wags is trying to eat my microphone right now. Sorry if you can hear that, you guys. Um, Anyway, so, um, yeah, guard tells her to go back to her cell. She's done for the day, baby. So so this is right around the time in the movie, because I wrote it down, 5031, when they finally alert us to the presence of Rudy Gaudet. Right. And they don't, and they never mention in the movie and forgive me. I don't, I don't know how to say this. He left a fingerprint, but also if you followed the case, he left something else at the crime scene. Right. So let's skate past the HIV scene because we know we captured that at the beginning. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. Uh, So the deal with Rudy, um, is that well we're gonna hear it we're gonna find we're gonna meet rudy for the first time the first time amanda finds out that rudy is arrested she sees him getting arrested we'll find out i think what he left at the crime scene in a minute um but she um yeah she's watching this in the cell and like can you imagine by the way a recovered memory of dreams like this is exactly what i hope for when it comes to recovered memories is like please let it someday kick in when I need it the most, which is I'm sitting in a cell. Finally, they arrest some random ass guy and I'm remembering a a smoky pot night. We're going to go to a disgusting apartment. Were they the downstairs roommates or that's a separate direction? That's like, that's where Simon Cowell sent them after. So what? 52, 30 to 54, 12. Dans mon avec qui colle tant d'une rose 
You're having a party without us? What's going on? <laughs> Where have you been hiding these two belle regats? We live upstairs. I'm Meredith. Rudy. <laughs> Meredith's friend, Meredith's friend, yeah. Meredith's friend, yeah. Meredith's friend. Yeah. Wanna get high, yeah. wanna get high. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that Rudy Gede is now in Italian custody. Good. Have they questioned him yet? Briefly. He said he had consensual sex with Meredith, and then he, he went to the bathroom. When he came back, he saw a strange man with a bloody knife uh, standing over Meredith. He also told police that Amanda wasn't involved. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> okay, so when did they release her? Mr. Lumumba, why do you think Amanda Knox falsely incriminated you? I don't really know, but I don't think she's evil. To be evil, you have to have a soul. Amanda doesn't. She's empty. Dead inside. Okay, I love that because, like, first of all, well, Rudy's Anya, and I just want to talk about that later. But first, do you, like, think that that's the most accurate way, I think, as far as people are concerned, to describe Amanda Knox? is like, she doesn't have a soul. Like, that's how a person who maybe doesn't understand that not everyone's so outwardly feeling might describe Amanda. Yeah, it was, I felt that that was, that was a big moment in the movie for me when Patrick Lumumba is talking about how, you know, he basically feels sorry for her because she can't connect on a human level at all. And it's what we're all thinking. And we needed that character in the movie to say that for us. I mean, if like his biggest takeaway from his job interview with Amanda was that his roommate could make a good vodka mojito, like I think that really also it all ties in together. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. The it's it's hard to do justice to the uncomfortableness of the scene when she comes into that dingy, disgusting, and it's, and it's an apartment. It's a party. We've all been to people are smoking weed. There's lots, of sh- there's lots of shit on the coffee table. And Rudy Gaudet is playing like some percussive beat on the acoustic and he starts rapping and Amanda sits down with him and she starts bobbing her head and she, and he's like, Meredith's friend. She came to the party and she's like, yeah, yeah. Like on beat, like putting it in there. It was yeah. so just For full sure. cringe trigger warning, like watch out. It was really, really upsetting for me. You're so right that we've all been to that party. Yep. Like we're all part, like literally all parties involved are like (laughs) on their own wavelength where you're like, you all like exist in different worlds. Like this girl that wants to like contribute to the rap and like this guy that's like playing 
terrible music to a party of just stoned, passed out people. Like you both exist. You should never be together. And if you are the sober person in the room witnessing that, like it's worse than being on acid. Like the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always the two stoned person that wants to leave. And, but I don't like want anybody to say anything to me or see me leave or have to have a discussion. And I'm just waiting for the moment where something happens. That's enough for me to go unnoticed and just fucking walk right out the door and never look back. Yeah. I'm going to say that, like, honestly, as a Bostonian, I'm going to throw it out there for anyone. This to me has like big post marathon monday patriots day vibes like when you've been drinking outside all day and like you really should have gotten your drinking out on sunday night monday morning but for some of you like you know maybe there's a problem in the mix maybe you just can't say no to partying maybe you are that guy that randomly passes a test without studying but monday night on marathon monday and you're just like all sort of cashed out and should be home like these are the sort of fever dream behaviors that you might witness in a person you know totally. you're on, yes they've been going too long have. things yeah things can go mhm yeah. so um amanda's hiv negative happy to report good, that good to she hear after after she's after she surrendered her entire sexual history she's coerced mm-hmm. into giving it up and i'll be honest right here and we, we can move past this but in the hiv negative scene in the doctor's office there's an ikea chair in the corner that um i have familiarity with and i was going I'm like, where do I know that chair from? I've sat in that chair. Did Was it an apartment that I had? Did somebody I know have it? Was it an office I worked in? I don't know why I know that Ikea chair right there, but I know it well. And it's, it kind of it threw me for a while. It took me a while to get back into it. Yeah, there's like a TikTok or like some sort of meme thing that I've seen going around. I forget where I saw it. But it was like, look at these rooms and tell me if you feel eerie or not. And it's like all rooms that are similar to like universal dream rooms that we all have. Like if it's like a bedroom with a certain wallpaper, apparently a lot of people have that. That Ikea chair might be that for you where it's like. It, was it from a dream? Was it from every room I've ever been in? I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Well, I just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get there. Um, if you guys uh, know the movie and know the style of the chair, let's put it out there, you know? So basically speeding it up. Um, Rudy says um, that he went out with Meredith that night. They were having some fun while they were making out later. He started to get some stomach pains. Um, and he was on the toilet listening to his iPod. <laughs> it's the iPod. It's honestly, for me, it's the iPod. He was yeah. on the toilet listening to his iPod when he heard a scream. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets off the toilet, runs into Raphael. He's in the hallway with a knife and he goes into the room. Sees her bleeding on the floor. So basically in this version, he didn't do anything, but he saw Amanda and Raphael running from the window area, which I read on Reddit today was so small that the person who went to this place in Perugia couldn't imagine a grown man jumping out of. Um, so taking a shit at a hookup <laughs> house with an iPod is like, it feels very European. I'm going to be honest with you. It does feel European. Um, I, yeah. Like, I mean, like you have an option to like, you know, there's a lot of places in Europe. You still have to shit in a hole. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, He's and all, but I don't, I don't care if somebody's getting murdered in the next room. And this is as far as I'm going to go with it. I mean, he just hops right up and just runs off. Well, that's yeah. I mean, in our in our replay, we get later like this yeah. man is literally taking a shit. Pulls doesn't even pull his pants up. He just no. runs out. <laughs> is mm-hmm. his dick out when? I mean, it's is lifetime. His dick out so when he it, runs into Raffaelli, I mean, it it would have been, but uh, you know, it's not. That's that's up to our imagination. Well, I'm going to have to say then. I don't think a guy would run dick out towards no. a, like a virgin with a knife. As a guy, I can say that nothing it's independent of the uh, rape and murder. Nothing that Rudy Gaudet does in that sequence is something that I can picture myself doing on any plane. There's just no, there's no dimension where what he does is something I identify with. At all. I mean, that's definitely some like, honestly, if he wasn't European, I'd be like egregious, yes. unbelievable. No one does that. That is like <laughs> three year relationship stuff. Like yeah. if you're going to be like taking a shit with like your fucking iPod, like with your iPod, like that's the other how long are you going to be in there? It's like, why are you camping out? That's the thing. It's like, are you marrying this woman? Like, what is happening? And so, (laughs) but then like, you know, if in Europe, I guess I understand it. What I don't understand in Europe is running with your dick out into the hallway. Like, I I mean, that's also European. I don't know. I guess. I feel like you're making some excuses for Rudy Gaudet that he, he was just entirely too comfortable in his scenario. And, and, and I mean, what really happened is he did the murder and then he just went and relaxed for a while. You know, he's apparently a, a, doing murders gets you very high. And so then he was probably unwinding. So he had plenty of time not to leave any evidence behind, but instead he just left it right there to be found, which is disgusting. And I would argue a criminal act of its own. No, it definitely is. Like, that's a huge thing. Like leaving like that's anything, anytime that happens. In fact, I was just reading on the Amanda Knox Reddit today. Someone said that they are, they're a psychologist or something, which, by the way, everyone on Reddit is. Um, and they were like, yeah, when I found out that Rudy left fecal matter behind, that's when I knew he was really off. And in fact, that's how I knew who was crazy in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation. Dude. And I'm like, okay, for real. Like, yes, I was like, absolutely, yes, you're right. Secondly, what a wild comparison, but also true. Like, anytime someone's fucking around with shit, like, you're crazy, dude. That's like your body, like, a human's body is supposed to be naturally adverse to that. If it's a fucking child, maybe. Sure. But that's like a one and done. That's a real one and done situation. That's like if it happens repeatedly, if there's any 
playing with it, if there's any Oof. anything like that, that's a category and that's something to look into. I'm staunchly anti-death penalty in nearly every case. I don't I just don't believe in it. I don't think civilized societies do it. Unless someone is weaponizing their excrement or any other bodily fluid. Oh, like if it was like a crime. Yeah, like yeah, if you're should like be protecting yourself. Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah. I understand. I understand. I think that would be good in like a hot, like if you're like um, hostage or if you're like held captive. There you go. That's actually like a low key good move. Like in room, like I feel like if she had pulled that in room that she probably would have gotten out. Totally. Yeah, that's good. That's a really good point. Um, but okay. So I think it was your point, but anyway, um, what I will say is that when I was watching all this, I started ruminating on something. What if Rudy Gaudet was like drunk and he was down at the one direction apartment and he was like, I want to take a shit, but I don't want to do it at the party. I'm going to go upstairs to this place. The lock is always broken. Those girls probably aren't home. Whoa. Then Meredith came home while he was mid shit. And some sort of altercation happened, maybe escalated really quickly. Dude, you just blew my mind. Do you think? Because like, I feel like if you're relaxed enough to be like taking a shit in someone's place, you're probably, I mean, maybe you are doing it post-murder, but I I felt more like a drunk move to me. I could see it. I could see it. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way. I I just thought he, you know, he did his, he did his killing and he went in to clean up. And before he had a shower, he'd sat down there and, and did what he needed to do and then just left it like a maniac. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what it, that's what I feel like the common thing is. And that's why I think this man did this. Like, honestly, I so feel like it. it all adds up to him doing yep. this. There's been so much gray area unnecessarily. Again, it reminds me of a lot of my favorite cases because there's unnecessary gray, like area created. Um, but anyway, so, you know, Amanda's mom thinks this, all of this is going on is like absolutely insane. This has to be Rudy Gaudet. He raped and then killed Meredith. How can anyone believe a drug dealer over her daughter? And she has this great Italian lawyer that's working with her and is basically like, listen, we got this. And she's like, well, no offense, but this court system is completely insane. And I'm glad that they said that from the American POV because there's no way they could have portrayed this in a Lifetime movie with any sort of gravitas unless they had someone in a, in plain English be like, this is crazy over here because in yeah. a lifetime budget, that's the best we have. Like they're never going to go into the history of this. They're never going to explain it more. They just need to be like, things are really kooky over here. Yeah. Because it's, it's unexplainable. It's a massive leap in logic when you go, Oh, here's the guy. Here's all the evidence. It points to the guy. He obviously did it. But what if we just decide that her roommate was also involved? Like there was, there's no link between the two. So the way it works there is that apparently they need to have 12 judges sign off on whether or not like the prosecution, AKA their version of like the DA 
is like their case is like solid enough. So they have 12 judges sign off on whether or not that's solid enough. Um, she's already been in there for two months. This process could take a year. Amanda seemed devastated by that, but I feel like honestly, if they were like, there's a year and then there's a really good chance that these people will have moved on from now, I'd be like, okay, I'll do the year. Yeah. I mean, she ended up doing like four. I mean, maybe that's quarantine talking for me, but like, I would not be that devastated if someone was like, you have to do a year in jail, but then you might get out of this murder you were framed for. So, um, then after they, you know, they do that, there's a whole different sort of protocol. I won't get into any of that, but the detectives talk about what they found, um, in this last part of the investigation. And then the prosecution is going to make their statement to the press. This is, we're in court now, baby. This is it. We're here. It's 5826 to one hour and 27 seconds. We found Rudy Godet's DNA all over the victim's bedroom. It was also on her bra, her handbag, her shirt, and inside her body. We identified Amanda's DNA mixed with Meredith's blood in five locations in the flat. This blood smear on the bathroom faucet contained Meredith's blood mixed with Amanda's blood. This is the knife we confiscated from Raffaele's kitchen drawer, and we identified Amanda's DNA on the handle and Meredith's DNA on the tip of the blade. So Amanda put the knife to Meredith's throat, keeping her under control. Raffaele held her down while Rudy raped her. Meredith fought back. Amanda plunged the knife into her neck, killing her. This is a plausible theory. The only problem is that the levels of Meredith's DNA in the knife were extremely low. How low? Less than five cells. You might not have what the Americans call a smoking gun, but if you add all the evidence together, I think you have everything you need to convict them all. Forensic results have confirmed that the three people responsible for this unspeakable orgy of death are Amanda Knox, Raffaele Sollecito, and Rudy Gede. The other motive? The victim was sexually assaulted, which leads us to believe that it started as some sort of sex game. How could this young girl commit such a violent crime? Well, under the angel face exists a very disturbed girl. Amanda lies without conscience. She does cartwheels and buys lingerie while her roommate lies dead in the morgue. She has no trace of empathy for Meredith or anyone else. I believe she's capable of anything, including murder. Grazie. Okay. Um, I mean, that's that. Yeah. That's certainly lays it all out. And then we're going to go to back to America where Amanda's family is setting up honestly kind of a fucking big dick move. This is a big dick move. They're smart enough to be like, how do we control the American version of our press? So they meet with this guy. I don't know who this guy is. He's supposed to be a lawyer, like a PR person. I think he's a PR, like a crisis communications type. Wow. I love that. That's rich. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. rich. You have to have money to know that. Yeah, you so, got you got to ha- you got to they must have gone all in because those guys don't work cheap. Do you think like Eddie Vedder funded this low key under the table? Like who do you think funded this? That's a good I don't know, maybe she got a book advance like 
up front or, you know, maybe some agents were creeping around, but I mean, there was no GoFundMe back then, but they had to raise some money. Dude, that is such a good call because like, you know what? In America, obviously you can't like profit from crimes that you've been convicted of. But if you're convicted of an Italian crime, get that money. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I don't know if it is, but we're going to play this scene out. Um, Picking up from 127 to 102.37. Amanda is a hardworking, athletic, honor student. Mm-hmm. Not this sex-crazed, foxy-noxy character they've concocted. The papers are calling her a, a, a diabolical vixen. It's, it's a total, absolute fabrication. Mm-hmm. Trial by media. It can get pretty vicious. I mean, this photo here. This was taken at a museum in Germany while Amanda was visiting her aunt. Her aunt. And where's the other one? The Foxy Noxy? This is a childhood nickname that she had from playing soccer when she was eight years old. What kid doesn't? Foxy Noxy details her many lovers in Italy. The prison doctor told Amanda she had AIDS. He asked her to make a list of her sexual partners. And when she complied... Let me guess. The list was somehow leaked to the press. Yes. How can they do that? I mean, how can they just expose her personal life to the whole world? Public relations is all about creating an image, and whoever controls that image wins. If this thing goes to trial, she could be found guilty before she even steps foot in court. We're not rich, but we contacted you because we want to fight back. We need to fight back for Amanda. A lot of our work will be done through the American media. We need to get this story on the talk show circuit, mm-hmm. into mainstream magazines, newspaper interviews. Okay, uh, well, I guess we'll do whatever you need us to, right? There's something else that might help. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor on our daughter's case is under indictment in Italy. We'll certainly look into that. As Jesuit honor student Amanda Knox languishes in a Perugian jail for a crime she says she didn't commit, it now appears She's not the only one in the hot seat. In a twist that most Americans would find unbelievable, we've discovered the chief prosecutor, Giuliano Mignini, is himself under indictment for intimidation and illegal wiretapping in a decades-old serial murder case. Okay, so done and done, right? Totally. Right? Like, done and fucking done. We've got a greasy motherfucker up in there. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. He was, well, the crimes he's accused of, I mean, he was kind of on that hustle, you know, he was trying to prove his case. Maybe, maybe he's like McNulty and he had to, he had to go outside of the, the bounds of the law to, to catch a perp. I don't know. Like Chris Hansen. Right. Yes. But like, okay, so here's the thing. Picture me a couple years ago. I'm wandering around Kyoto, okay? I'm going to get some gyoza on the way to go meet up with some friends somewhere else in the city. I meet a couple of Italians. We wind up meeting up two days later in Tokyo. We have a mad love affair. To this day, 
We still comment on each other's Instagrams and make promises of visiting one another. We went out for a wild night of karaoke, followed it up with another two days of hanging out. At the end of it, they called me their best friend. But over this time, you know, there was a moment where I said to them, do you guys think Amanda Knox is guilty? And they were like, yeah, of course. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, of course, of course she did it. And like, this is what also I mean by like their OJ. We're like, yeah, that's a really good point. She's the one who got away. Duh. Whereas like, we look at that. I'm like, don't you see that there's corrupt like situations going on there with the law? Like, don't you see that they're clearly like bending it? Like total LAPD moves. Like, I don't know. I just feel like, so um, I was so shocked by that because I had spent two days with these people. They seem so measured, so cultured, so wonderful. And they're like, yeah, Amanda Knox did it where I feel like in my bubble, everyone's like, are you kidding? No way. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I guess it's a matter of perspective, you know, and it's it's the news that you read. That really is what the story comes down to. Definitely. It's fascinating. Uh, Manini's furious. All right. He doesn't like any of this. He can't believe that he, you know, he's like, I didn't I didn't do cartwheels. I didn't leave DNA. I didn't do any of that. I'm just doing my job. Okay. I don't want to leave this up to reporters and bloggers. And I love that because yeah. you know they don't fucking talk about bloggers in Italy. No, you know that that's not. like a lifetime juice where they're like, we found out people write online and it's called yeah. blogging. <laughs> and it so, was and it was 2007, so they really wanted to seem in the moment. So we find out that Rudy has already tried, basically. He's done, he's going away. But then now they're doing like the preliminary for um, Amanda and um Raffaele. So they all go to court. Amanda does not know that flirting with the cameras is not the move. She's smiling to them, like she's definitely seemingly enjoying the attention. I think honestly, she was probably a girl that was taught to smile when the cameras come out and felt weird. Like, I don't think she was thinking I have to look somber for my murder preliminary preliminary trial thing, because this is just where the judges are deciding if they want to move forward with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So they decide to move forward with it. Rudy's going to be guilty for 30 years, dude. He's away. His trial already seemingly happened. I don't really know what happened there with him. I think Um, he might have copped a plea. Because that that seemed to go quickly, the the Rudy Gaudet portion. Maybe because he had a previous, like, history. Like, he had gotten into some skirmishes, as they use that word. Yeah. They had his prince. Is that from, like... Because they were unclear about that. Like, he immigrated, so maybe that's why they have... I don't know. Do they take your prince when you immigrate? Or I think they, they said he came at, as younger. I think he. they said he immigrated as a child, and then he and had then, some, like, petty criminal activity on his record. But no, obviously hadn't raped and murdered anybody. Okay, yeah. Because I was, like, confused about why he, like, they scanned and they got prince. Yeah. Because I feel like Prince, I don't know. I've never been arrested like that. I don't know. Um, But anyway, so we're going to go to basically the beginning of her actual trial where she shows up in jeans and a white zip up top. Like her family couldn't have brought her anything else. So I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't want to be the one to do that. But she didn't her uh, her court outfits 
didn't really seem to match the gravity of the situation. Like, don't like I'm a guy. I know I would wear a suit to court. If you're on trial for your life, you wear a suit. And she's just wearing her Coles get up every day. Yeah. So like there's so many questions I have about that because they don't seem particularly uniformed like in their prison cells. Um, And I don't know if that's true to life or not. I do believe Amanda like wore a uniform from some photos that I've seen. I think I remember seeing her in a uniform too. Yeah. But um, yeah, like if they bring you clothes to wear to court, they're probably like ideally your family, they're all there from America. Bring her something other than a fucking zip up like Heather Gray moment. I don't, it's very casual. She definitely looks like going like, it's not, I worked out today. It's like, I want you to think maybe I worked out today so I can wear this athleisure. Yeah. She's, she's like, I'm on my way to um, third period poli sci. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So let's play out uh, 104.55 to 107.08. Of, of course, at the end of our episode, our clips are always longer. Um, this is where we're going to hear from both Manini doing like all of his main shit and then Meredith's mom. This case is like a puzzle. While individual pieces can be picked apart, put together, there is a compelling picture of guilt. On the one hand, we have the victim, Meredith Kircher, a studious young woman who was soon to return to London for her mother's birthday. On the other, we have Amanda Knox, a narcissistic, aggressive, and manipulative young woman who harbored a hatred for Meredith. Now, in her desire to retaliate, Amanda enlisted the services of two young men who were vying to impress her. Raffaele Solecito, her smitten, weak-willed lover, and drifter Rudy Gede. Now, each of these three individuals may have been harmless on their own, but like certain chemicals, when mixed together, they produced a cataclysmic reaction of blood and horror. Meredith's death was unreal in many ways, and it still is. I still look for her. It's not just her death, but the nature of it, the brutality, the violence, great sorrow it brought for everyone such a shock to send your daughter away to school not have her come back we will never I wanted to make sure we played Meredith Kircher's mom's part for our like week to week lifetime heads because in terms of like a big lifetime cry moment, this is the closest thing that we really get. And 
I think, again, that's another problem with making these movies too soon is it's too soon to depict like where everyone's real emotion is coming from. And the only person who can display that is the mother of the young woman who was murdered. And again, like this whole case, just like it blows like it, it blows because like this, I don't like to this day, people are still not comfortable with Rudy Gaudet being away for this and holding him solely accountable. That's crazy. Because of this circus, it's literally insane. And this family, you know, I think that because things were muddied and they were pulled, it would be such a waste to be pulled through that entire like Raffaele and Amanda thing for like years if they were not a part of it. So to go through all of that on top of their grieving period, of course, parts of them can never like fully come to terms with the fact that they had nothing to do with it. Yeah. What a waste to have to be there in court for years. You're in a for they're in a foreign country too. Like they're also coming from where they live. And of course her father just passed away. Like it's just, it's such a thing for a family and we never hear about Meredith's family. And maybe that's better because then they're just, not focused on so much it can grieve more privately but it's all about amanda and yeah they're decided for her the kircher family's deeply invested in the amanda raffaelli being the guilty parties for this and that's not their fault you know like that's what they've been told and so you understand where they're coming from. Totally. When, yeah. When they, when they expect a, a particular result to come of this trial. And if you, to this day, tweet anything affirming about Amanda Knox, you will have 20 Meredith Kircher people in your replies being like, she's not a good person. You know, she did this, she's guilty. And there's a like I completely understand why they're all holding out for hope. Why wouldn't you? Like if you could hold one more person responsible and like finally hope that it would take that weight off. It's like anything else in life. Like you I totally get it. I yep. feel for this family so much, especially like I feel that they they are done very dirty in movies like this as well. Um, I agree. And that that's why there needs to be the breathing room for like again you know, Quentin Tarantino's child to come make this movie right? and let them be heroes. Like in the, my cousin Vinny version of this movie, can you imagine how banging this scene would have been? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it would have been a moment. And, and later in the movie, the two moms have a moment that I think is pretty special. <laughs> I mean, it's what lifetime did. It could have been more. I definitely yeah. will say that, but yeah. So, um, Basically, they interview Philomena on the stand and Philomena's like, you know, Meredith and Amanda, you know, they got into fights because Amanda would bring strange men around and she had a clear trans like she had a translucent bag with a vibrator and condoms in it in the bathroom to which I say, come on, Amanda, come on. Well, yes, we've determined she was messy, but. She was being safe and she was being responsible for her own pleasure. And And that's, we can't take that away from her. Listen, no, it's not that it's the translucent bag. 
That's okay, I agree. The, it's, the, it's the clear bag that bothers me. Of course. I'm like, yes, like, of course. Absolutely. That's wonderful. I'm just saying, like, a trend, like, you don't put that in the bathroom. So, well, maybe, maybe this is the carry-on situation, and she also had her lube yeah, in there. Right. It, under three and a half ounces, obviously. And you got it depends on what airport you're you're at, but sometimes you gotta take that out and put it separate from the bag so they can see right. through it. And it just so happens that her condoms and her vibrator were mixed in with her with her loose uh with with her loose liquids. Right. You're right. I mean, there's that. You're I did, absolutely did not consider that angle. You're totally right. Her so- shampoo and conditioner might have been in there, cream rinse, who knows? Yeah, you're right. You're right. So um, Amanda talks with her sister and she's like, yeah, Philomena really turned her back on me today. She's like, yeah, you know, you barely knew Meredith. You were only there a month. And I was like, thanks for saying that, because we needed a reminder as an audience that these girls did not know each other at all. Like they're both out with boyfriends already. Totally. Yeah, they got they got right in. I mean, Amanda, for sure. She was a little randy like she was going there. She was away from home. She was feeling herself and there's nothing wrong with that. And so they assimilated very quickly to the expat traveling student lifestyle which there's nothing wrong with, but this Philomena goes all in on Amanda when Amanda was just living her life. Yeah. She was irritating. Yeah. She wasn't ever, she wasn't clean. She wasn't everybody's best friend, but there was no reason to think that she did this murder. And I feel like Philomena, Philomena fomented that and helped and helped push that narrative, which is why I have Philomena as really the villain of this whole movie, her and obviously Rudy Gaudet. Yeah, Philomena's someone that, like, you know, you can't necessarily trust. Like, you hear her tell a couple stories secondhand, and you're like, well, I don't know if I trust that narrative at all, actually. And then you think about the damage she could have really done if they all made it through the semester. Because when you totally. have someone who lies like that, when you have yep. someone who over-investigates like that, I mean, honestly, <laughs> Philomena could have caused a lot more long-term damage in a weird way. Like, so, rest in peace to Meredith Kircher. Sure, uh, sure. So we're also going to clear up here briefly that Amanda's under the impression currently that Raffaele and I, her would have worked out. She goes, Raffaele and I would have worked out if in a different place at a different time. And he's going to come visit me in Seattle when all of this is over. That actually stunned me. I was, I was like the Memorex guy. I was blown back in my chair when she said that I was like, there's no, there's no realm of possibility where anyone thinks Raffaele going to swing out to Seattle for a quick visit after his murder trial is over. But just as friends too, like that's sure. the other thing, like they're not that's- continuing on this. It's like whatever friendship they had over the week and a half that they got to know each other before the murder, over. that's going to carry on over. I mean, after this murder trial, how could they not be best friends? Like total Ross and Rachel, like what? Are you kidding? Um, so Amanda goes to court and she's like, you know, smiles again as she's going in. Um, we're going to hear from Bubbles, the... <laughs> The lingerie the salesman. Bubbles. Yeah. Literally, this guy is my favorite actor in the entire movie. We get like two lines from him. 108.38 to 109.48. Mr. Rinaldi, 
You own a clothing boutique here in town, correct? It's called Bob Boz. On November 3rd, did the accused come into your store? Yes. They bought some lingerie. And did Amanda Knox say anything to Raffaele Solecito during this time? Yes. She said to him, I'm going to take you home for some wild sex tonight. So on November 3rd, while her murdered roommate's memorial was being held in Perugia, Miss Knox's main concern was buying sexy lingerie and making love. Could you talk please about the lingerie shopping spree? No. Amanda only went to that store because she didn't have any clothes. The police sealed off her apartment and she didn't have anything to wear. And how do you respond to allegations she was doing cartwheels in the police station? Look, Amanda's Amanda. She's always been a unique girl. A lot of kids want to conform, but she was always just who she is and never worried about it. And now? She's grown up a lot. Wow, okay. Seleccio, first of all, hard C. How did we not know? It's crazy. thought it was Solecito. I've literally lived in Italy. I did not know that. Okay. Secondly, um, this scene after, first of all, I love the guy who works at Bubbles, who's absolutely lying. That man is absolutely lying. We're going to go home and have some wild sex after this. This is apparently what she said to him. That's- this is just like the bleach store guy. He wants some shine for his shop. He w- wants to get on stage or he wants to get on the stand and be known to get it, get a little, do a little guerrilla marketing. <laughs> That is the rawest. No, that is the rawest guerrilla marketing. I (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I'm fucking dead. You're exactly right. It's guerrilla marketing. He's fucking disturbing the space right now, dude. Especially because he's selling lingerie, and she's in the shop, and she's like, "Hey, let's fuck after (laughs) this." You know, like (laughs) totally. Yeah, the owner of Bubbles is like, actually, you're right. This is good. I cu- I picked up on the cleaning supplies. I didn't even think about, oh, yeah, while we're in Italy, while we stop by Perugia, let's go get underwear at the place Amanda Knox got it. I didn't even think of that. Some high-end lingerie. You're fu- pushing La Perla there. This man is making a profit. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of it. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but this scene was like very um like just like the mother in me, the parent in me was like looking at these two being like, you know what? She's grown up a lot. I can't I only could imagine. Like I feel that way about my friends that are like in their like early 20s when when something happens with them and I'm like, yeah, they're just never going to be the same again. They've grown up a lot. They're never again going to do cartwheels while they're anticipating getting like deposed for something or whatever, like right. never, again. like this is an adult now. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear about their baby girl lingerie shopping with her new Italian knife collector. But also like they're like, this is their way to like really stand up for her. Like they're, like she's definitely fundamentally changed forever, not just because she fucks, but because she <laughs> has right. gone through this horrific situation. Right, that's a good point. Yeah, that also that also the also the wrongfully accused of murder part. 
Okay, so we're going to play out the majority of the uh, the trial here. Um, basically, all of the prosecution, 109.50 to 113.33. Can you tell the court what you did on the evening of November 1st, 2007? Yes. Raffaele and I were at his apartment, hmm? and uh, we read a little, listened to some music, and then we watched the movie Amelie a little later on his computer. You also called your mother that day. At 3 a.m. Seattle time. Actually, I don't remember doing that. I called her later when they were breaking Meredith's door down. No, no, no. The earlier call is important. Because at 3 a.m. in Seattle, it was noon in Perugia. Nothing had happened yet. The police hadn't arrived. The door had not been broken down. Meredith's body had not been discovered. Why did you feel the need to wake your mother up in the middle of the night? I didn't call her earlier. According to your mother's earlier testimony and this phone record, you did. Okay, fine. And I did call her, but I don't remember. Earlier, you heard Marco Vitello testify that you entered his shop on the morning of November 2nd at 7.45 a.m. and went directly to the cleaning supply section. How do you respond to that? I was asleep at that time. He must be mistaken. He identified you in court. He said he was sure it was you. Well, I've been in that store several times before. He just must have mixed up the dates. Moving on to the date of November 6th. You've asserted that you were physically struck during your interrogation. Please, can you, uh, can you tell us about that? Um, the room was crowded, and everyone was asking me questions. They were all moving around. And then the interpreter called me a stupid liar. And then, boom, I was hit in the back of the head twice. But it was during the same interrogation that you falsely accused Patrick Lumumba of murdering Meredith. Why? Because he was the only one that the police were, were interested in. And I was confused, and I couldn't remember what happened. And have you ever imagined something that never happened to you? No, but I've never been interrogated like that before. At the time, I was very stressed out, and I was confused. And the police suggested Patrick's name, and, and so... I had a flashback that Patrick was a murderer. So uh, what does this mean? Either something is true, or it isn't true. For example, you're in court right now. You're not at the beach, no? Can I finish now? Please. Later on, I realized that my imaginings were not real memories. It was just imagination. I... Patrick, Patrick's innocent. Is innocent. But you never told the police that. You never told me. Didn't you feel the need to intervene and get an innocent man out of prison? The police had already threatened me. They called me a liar. I didn't... I didn't trust them anymore. Perhaps you had other reasons to keep Lumumba on the hook. Objection! Okay. 
So this movie was so long ago that I would almost say that the outfit that she's wearing in court right now is almost back. Like she's wearing like a little baby doll dress with some clips in her hair. It's very 2011, but more informed by like 1997. Do you know I was going to say, yeah, it's got a late nineties vibe to it. Yeah, it's like that weird place we stopped off in the 90s that was like very um, bad, sort of like romancy, um, flowy shit. Like it was just, it was bad. And that's where she lives right now in this movie. But I would almost say cute. Like for a teenage girl, cute wow. outfit, that would be, that's cute, you know? And, and by the way, the best court outfit she's had. For sure. But none of this would hold up in American court. I mean, this is absolutely insane. All of these arguments are just absolutely batshit. Um, So now this is his moment to lay out everything that's gone wrong. We've heard from all the witnesses. We've heard all the testimony. So he thinks that um, Amanda and Raffaele went to Gramana Square that night. They were going to meet Rudy to buy some drugs. At 11.20, Amanda goes back to the cottage and the two men enter with her. Rudy goes to take a shit and Amanda and Raffaele birth into (laughs) Meredith's room. By the way, like now that I'm like thinking about it, I'm like, maybe Rudy is on mushrooms. Like maybe he's just like shrooming and needs to take a shit or maybe they're doing, I don't know. What kind of drugs are you supposed to be doing? Coke? Coke. Well, coke has that effect on people. Coke has that effect on people, but like, do I? I don't like who does coke and murder. Well, I guess I was gonna say who does coke and murders people. Right. A lot of people, Molly. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, I was thinking always more psychedelic with this. I always thought it was gonna be like a bad fucking acid moment but anyway amanda and meredith start to fight because all this tension has been building up between them about the dirty dishes and the vibrator and um amanda starts to take like revenge on her it's about it's all about the sexual habits as he says the hygiene and sexual habits um which is crazy it's by the way that this molly it's the most dipshitted theory anyone has ever had about anything how were the people in the courtroom not like looking around at each other like he fucking expects us to believe this bullshit like where is this coming from it's insane it's so stupid and yet i know well like to reference frat houses or like earlier Like, if frat brothers killed each other over some, like, fucking rank, like, axe body spray shit and, you know, fucking lubrication next to the bed, are you kidding me? Every frat in America would be dead. Like, this is... a really good point. It's not, like, that big of a deal. Remember remember the Duke lacrosse case? They had to, like, investigate their bathroom, and it was fucking disgusting. There was, like, three different guys' semen in the trash can. Totally. And like, mm-hmm. also like every guy that age, you go into their space, there's a fucking huge thing of lotion next to their bed and like, just fucking like shit every, it's just disgusting. And like the fact that she was judged on this is like, 
it's just this is you know crazy the murder case hinges on her being a gross sexual woman so um apparently amanda shoved the knife into meredith's neck after Raphael, and i guess rudy was apparently supposed to be taking a shit this whole time then (laughs) Raphael cut out the bra like the little hook thing on the bra to make it look like a rape which I'm just going to say if I had to stage a rape, I would only a virgin would start with the bra hook. Like, are you kidding me? That actually does line up. Yeah, but his he like separated. He's like there. He Rudy does. They do the murder and then he comes back later and cuts the bra off and cleans up and then he leaves again and then they come back and cover up the body with a quilt even later. And it's just ridiculous. It's so dumb. I'll just say that, like, I think that the most interesting part of all of like this little prosecution moment when he was like, and then as a woman. She felt so like, you know, as a friend, as a woman, she felt like she needed to cover Meredith's body because it was the decent thing to do. Exactly. It's insane. And I'm like, you just called this girl like a drugged out, dirty masturbator. And (laughs) yes. And then you're like, but then as a woman, she could never leave this naked girl there. And I'm like, everything you're saying like implies that she has no morals because she is those other things. Um, but anyway, so then we go to Amanda's parents and her sister visiting her at the jail. This is like before they're going to get the verdict. Um, And this is sort of a big moment because like you might not realize watching it today how close this is to the end of the movie. Like I didn't realize that didn't either. basically almost the end of the movie when it was happening, just because so much has happened since then. Um, one sixteen forty nine to one seventeen forty four. Father, sister and two brothers will now have to go to the cemetery to be near her. Amanda Knox and Raffaele Solecito took poor Meredith from this world. You must give them what they deserve. Ergastolo! Life imprisonment! The Hermann Hess books are in German. Mom thought it might be interesting to read them in the original. It's really hard hearing people say those terrible things in court. I mean, I told the truth. I didn't do anything. I didn't kill Meredith. The prosecution was just trying to prove its case. Things will get better once the defense gears up tomorrow. What if it doesn't? that I could actually be convicted never seemed real until now. They're not going to convict you. We can't lose faith now. They don't have any evidence. That was all conjecture. Why are they doing this to me? Why does everybody hate me? Why does everybody hate me? Yeah, exactly. That line stood out to me so much because it's like a perfectly odd 
Amanda Knox question for like an entry level of them trying to understand Amanda Knox. Why does everybody hate her? Because she, how else would she interpret that? She thinks it's personal. She doesn't see that there, it feels personal. Of course it does, but it's not personal. They're trying to blame someone for this. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, but she, maybe she's starting to have some self-awareness because she's just so out of touch with how humans actually interact and what they think and feel. Maybe she's, maybe that's where she's coming from, where she's like, why does everyone hate me when it's really not about that? But that's, that's as much as she can process. Yeah. I would like to say I would do a better, like I would do better in the moment, but I don't think I would at all. Um, so then the defense starts up basically the DNA on the bra strap. It makes no sense. Um, the only thing that they were able to find in terms of DNA for Raffaele was a cigarette butt, um, which, you know, it's Europe, baby cigarette butt yeah, everywhere. Um, the other also in the other room, right. And the other mm-hmm. sample in the house was like five cells on a knife actually in his apartment. So that doesn't make any sense. His lawyer was great. I was like, his dad is rich. Even yeah. in this Lifetime movie, I was like, she really did, along with Marsha Grayhart and did the heavy lifting in this movie. So then Amanda's lawyer says that it appeared that Meredith struggled when she died and Rudy's DNA is all over that room. But there's not one particle of sweat, hair, blood, or anything like that that could be tied to Amanda Knox. I mean, exactly. case closed. Factually innocent. Um, yeah. And also they think that like, obviously Rudy is the sole perpetrator of the crime. It's very clear how he could have done this. Um, they, he forced her on, uh, his, her knees and then he stabbed her in the neck. Also, I would like to know to this day how that could have happened. Do you think that they were, do you think they were banging? Like, what do you think was happening? No, I think it's a straight rape murder, but you know, it's, Nothing ever plays out exactly how you think it was. So, uh, you know, who who knows what positions people are in when they're killing somebody. I don't know. And right, anything could happen. It wouldn't surprise me. Maybe he was like on shrooms and he was taking a shit in the upstairs apartment. Yeah. And one thing led to another. I don't know. I would like to say, though, as a person who does tend to enjoy like the heavy set guy in the corner of the party fucking banging on some acoustic guitar for no reason like way too late like yeah i will say like sometimes i'm energetically drawn to that person not their music but energetically i'm like you know what like whatever's going on with you you're feeling your own vibe like for rudy's sake i would like there to be a more complicated scenario than just that like he's a rapist and a murderer yeah like maybe something well obviously because he hadn't been charged with other crimes. I mean, not obviously maybe he had done other murders, but you know, maybe, yeah, maybe it was something that he took. I just don't want to send him that way. I don't want to see someone like on their Enya vibe. And then like later find out they're a murderer. Like you don't, you want those things to be separate. That's why it couldn't be mushrooms. It would have to be. Yeah. PCP or something. So now we're going to hear Amanda testify and then we're going to end this movie, baby. One twenty-one twenty-seven to one twenty-two forty-two. All right. They say that I'm calm. I'm not calm. I'm scared of losing myself. I'm scared of being branded something that I'm not. I'm scared of having 
the mask of an assassin forced onto me. After years in prison, I confess I feel sad. And I feel frustrated. In front of you, I feel vulnerable. But I'm sure of what I know. And Meredith was my friend. And I would have never hurt her. My conscience is clean. I'd like to thank the prosecution because they're doing their job. And even though they don't understand, they're trying to bring justice to a person who is taken from this world. That's it. That's it. That's it. Unbelievable. We got got a moment. You know, I appreciated her saying, you know, her family's only trying to bring justice to this. Totally. I I did need that from the character. I'll say that. Like, I needed to hear that from her um, to get on board. But yeah, so then she gets uh, 26 years. Raphael gets 25 years. Um, Amanda's just obviously, this is like our biggest sort of emotional reaction we get from her but we never get like a tory spelling lifetime cry from her the movie is like kind of void of that and is i that, wonder, is that the patriarchy though that she, that she gets one more year than he gets i mean they did the fucking murder yeah. together what how and why do we make her the mastermind like he's he's virgin. the guy he is a virgin right because right. so he doesn't because he didn't have condoms and vibrators in his bathroom they're like we need to give him a one-year head start yeah, that's a that's a good point. I liked when the moms the moment for me is when the moms made eye contact. Okay, yeah. So then that's the thing. So I have in my notes Meredith and Amanda's moms really look at each other for the first time. So this is like that's it. They really that's like it. they're forced to really look at each other. Which by the way, I always wonder, you know, like I'm not a looker. I'd be no. that bitch. I would be that bitch who's on the other side of the thing. Like if I was on one side of the jury or whatever it's called, the courtroom, yep. I would never look over to the other side. Never. Never. I would yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm conflict avoidant. 100%. I pl- yep. I played volleyball, not volleyball, sorry, that's an egregiously wrong. I played badminton for one year with a kid in gym and didn't know he only had one hand. Like yeah. I literally could not be more, <laughs> more clueless. Like literally, like my boyfriend was like, oh, who's your te- who's your partner for badminton and gym? I was like, his name was Brian, oddly enough. And I was yeah. like, oh, it's Brian. And he's like, oh, was, he's like, Molly, your gym partner has one hand. And I was like, by the way, this is like no shade on people with one hand because of course this, not. this has actually happened to me twice now where a couple years ago I was fucking going through a really rough time. I was in New York. I was drinking. I'm all of a sudden something happened. Something broke in the news. I got very emotional. I started crying. Next thing I know, this angel comes out of nowhere and is like, are you okay? Do you want to go for a walk? Like, and so I went for a long walk on this guy and I'm talking to him and I'm telling him all this stuff. And he goes, do you want to know my secret? And I was like, what's your secret? And he takes his 
arm out from like a pouch and he only has one hand. And I said to him, I was like, sir, if you wouldn't even believe me that this is not the first time in my life that I've hung out with someone for a significant period of time and didn't notice they didn't have had a hand. Like, I don't know. It would have been funny if he took out his missing hand and you were like, is your name Brian? (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) they were so radically different as human beings. It's like, that's how, that's how blind I really am to our differences in this world, man. Like no matter how far, if you have a hand or don't have a hand, like, I don't know. I'm trust me. I'm too oblivious to realize fucking anything, but yeah, like I would never know. I would absolutely never know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look. I, I think my favorite thing about the way this movie ends is the actual end scene where Amanda goes away in the paddy wagon mm-hmm. and the pa- the paddy wagon windows are actual iron bars. <laughs> That's what they were. Is that real? Was yeah. That, was it like the old West? Like, wouldn't they be plexiglass at least at this point? In, in, the, in- Europe, I think they like the show. I think it's a little yeah, bit about the theater of it all. Like they uh, like the theater. It's like, and I agree. Like I, there's something very romantic about it. Like her mother literally chased after this. This is a high profile court case. Okay. And like, there's so much paparazzi. I can't even believe they brought her out through the front door. Have you ever seen someone get convicted of murder and then brought out the front door of the court? No, it's crazy. I always assume they go through some underground tunnel or something because you never see those people ever. Um, no, they, they're taken away. They, they have a cell in the court where they go and cool off for a while before they shuttle them to what to Chino or wherever they're going. Yeah, it's the Jeffrey Epstein of it all. Like, it's exactly. very, like, you just don't see a lot of that. So we get a little title card at the end. On October 3rd, 2011, Amanda Knox and Raffaele Solecino. So- yeah, yes, that's exactly how you pronounce it. We're freed after four years in prison when a court of appeals in Perugia, Italy overturned their convictions for the murder of Meredith Kircher. The court affirmed the conviction of Knox for, def- for defamation of fa- for falsely accusing Patrick Lumumba. The prosecution appealed and on March 26, 2013, Italy's highest court overturned the acquittals of Amanda Knox and Raffaele Selecido. Um, Italian law allows a person to be tried twice for the same crime and Amanda Knox and Selecido will now be tried again. So this was like so outdated that they were still on that shit. I feel like there's been developments even since the development of that in all of this. But um, Rudy, our boy Rudes, is I think up for appeal to like or for um what's it called when they parole. parole he's out for a parole like soon it- that's fucked what are you doing over there italy and they like reduced his sentence from like 25 years to 20 i think it like went down to 12 and now he's up for parole like it went very quickly what the fuck for someone we're still kind of making documentaries about the person who didn't do it, we certainly are letting him free. Yeah. And- well, maybe it's like Manson where he, co- you come up for parole a whole bunch of times and then you just never get it. Right. 
Maybe, but they. But why are they reducing his sentence? That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm, I, I was what too was dumb Manson's, to put that together. Did Manson get like life with the possibility of parole? Is that what he got? <laughs> he got sentenced to death, I believe, but then California overturned oh, the death penalty, and so it, yeah, conv- it converted it to life in prison. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Dude, when he died, I was like shocked. Not just like I honestly what it was was I couldn't believe I lived longer than him and like I also like cuz he just seemed like he was never going to die. Yeah, like, I'm kind of with you. He was old-timey when I was young. And like the fact that he was still hanging in there, I don't know. I'm also like weird and I think the girls like for the most part should just be let free. Like yeah, whoever's left. Yeah, brainwashed. Totally. Like, yeah. come on. I feel like that needs to be revisited. No, MK Ultra. Like, he had CIA brainwashing techniques. Like, Dude. he's, that's, he, he, they were just basically his weapon. I didn't know you were like, I didn't know you had a big brain. Like that's the truth, dude. I don't. I, I, no, no. If you're on some MK Ultra, dude, we yeah. we gotta talk, man. So okay. this is written by Wendy Battles. Um, Wendy is known for Law and Order, baby. Um, she was a producer on Law and Order, or yeah, I think she's still no, she's done. She's done on Law and Order. This is a woman who has like a like a pretty seasoned career. I would say that she's pro- she probably has a Martha's Order. Vineyard house from that f- Law and Order. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? And then she's also done a bunch of other shit. Unforgettable. What's the Glades? The Glades. I don't know. Sounds like it sounds Netflixy. Is that the one with Kyle Chandler? Ooh, that's a good call. I would love that. I love Kyle Chandler. Who doesn't? He's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, My friend worked at a coffee shop adjacent to his apartment building and would giggle every time he came in. And he never noticed. Um, (sighs) The Glades is, as I felt in my gut, about the state of Florida. Um, I did not, Yeah, I didn't look into Kyle Chandler of it all. Yeah, this yeah. movie was great. This is, by the way, I, like I have it. to say, this is the, the shortest episode we've done of this mini season. Can you believe that? <laughs> that you've been here for three hours and this is yeah. somehow still the shortest episode of the season so far? It was fun. The off season, I should say. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on. Do you have any final thoughts before we bounce out? No, I'm I'm a I'm a convert. I'm a lifetime movie club convert, and I would be stoked to be invited back to do another one. Dude, you have to come do Michelle Carter with me because I've been wanting to do that one on an off season. I don't think it's good enough for because it's like a pre case being wrapped up thing, and Bella Thorne's in it. And, you know, it's about a girl texting her boyfriend. And plus, there's a major doc, um, Aaron Lee Carr, um, a friend of I I was friends. Her dad was amazing to me. And she made this documentary about um, the Michelle Carter case. Very understood woman. I had to shut it down on the doc. It was too disturbing. Like it really that was fucking me up. Like I watched two. What's that? Part two. I didn't get to part two. Dude, part two's lit. Dude, part two is where it's at, baby. Because part two is from Michelle's side, and you get to see what happens when someone has medication poisoning at a developing brain level. I mean, it has to, it had to be something. I'll say it has to do a lot with the show Glee. Whoa. Okay, yeah. I'm in. The second, I'm in. The second doc, I know it's so dark. 
But the second doc like has completely to do with the show Glee in a very um, surprising way. And I think in a way that speaks a lot to um, how off the wall mental health can be, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. So, Brian, tell people where they can find your podcast. If not, we will have it all in the description of the show. Anything you want will be all there. All your links, all your everything and anything else that you want to shout out while you're here. Sure. It's it's called The Baller Lifestyle. It's on anywhere you get podcasts or theballerlifestyle.com. Comes out every Wednesday. Be stoked if you guys would check it out. I'm on all... Social media platform. Well, that's not true. I'm not on Snapchat or TikTok. no. Like, what are you a pedophile? Why would you be on Snapchat? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, I've I've I'm so not on it. I've never been on it, so I have no idea. But Instagram, Twitter. My name's Brian Beckner, and that's my handle as well. Thank Thanks you for having me for listening, you guys. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.